0: let the games begin
1: by taking some time out of our daily lives to sit down and have a little chat chit chat Yes, yeah, chit chat thank you
0: conversation must be stimulating
1: there's still you need a
0: set of aesthetic guidelines to put it in social perspective i think maybe what we need here is a fresh perspective fresh points of view stimulating conversation Stop. i thought it would put things in perspective for you let's begin all right all right episode four of the tomorrow people podcast uh today we have kyle on the show uh kyle you want to hey say what time and introduce up? yourself? up
2: my name is kyle i'm happy to join i actually really enjoyed your uh, little little intro uh, uh audio clip there that was actually pretty cool i only recognized like two of the of the clips but uh
1: nice <laughs> uh, yeah no i love the love the bane thing I, I i remember i was looking through our folder and uh i heard it and i was like man we should we should get this back on and uh here <laughs> i think you just this was the first one i think we've done with the with the intro so uh <laughs> excited Sounds yeah we good. missed it on the first couple but it's back now so yeah whatever it, it's cool i mean i think uh <laughs> i love the idea behind it that it's like all these little clips taken out of uh, different movies
0: I uh, ripped it straight off from Tim Ferriss, his intro. Dude, Tim Ferriss' intro, this might be an unpopular opinion,
2: but I think it's terrible. I think, I love Tim Ferriss' podcast, but his intro is just stupid, in my opinion. Um, (laughs) I love it, coming in It's (laughs) just, the first thing it says is like, optimal, minimal. And it's playing this like, just horrible song in the background that's like, 8,000 BPM and it's just like it was made by some dude who was trying to like you know if you ever downloaded like an illegal version of software and it comes with like one of those little chip tune crack installer things that plays like a like a cheesy video game music from the early 2000s that's (laughs) the kind of song that is in Tim Ferriss's intro
0: that's so (laughs) interesting while we're taking a shot at the number one podcast you know so that's good like you guys did did better
1: than (laughs) good work <laughs> Dude, I just I didn't realize Kyle was also viral marketing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I the king. Like,
2: you can't change it. Like once you've locked it in, I mean I'm you know, you can't change it. Like you're you're set with this intro forever. So. The, the initial so? name
0: of the podcast was gonna be like the Peter Pittman podcast, which are best <laughs> <last> names. But <laughs> and, uh, that, you know, Peter Pittman perspective. Anyway, there were a lot of P's. Oh, yeah. Um, i'm <laughs> glad we scrapped that P-P- but P-P- this- <laughs> so- yeah no tomorrow- are you down are we- with PPT
1: <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah i uh <laughs> remember those days it was a branding thing i mean i think i think this it, i think that was part of the reason too like it, it fell apart it was just didn't we didn't I, in my mind at least again we, I, I think i mentioned this before it didn't have like the why are we doing this podcast and i think the the tomorrow people kind of frames it a little better and, uh, more excited kind of for each one to yeah, explore, explore things that I think are tomorrow people issues, um, with other tomorrow people. So it's <laughs> a great segue. So, uh,
0: yeah, Kyle, I think, I'm not sure how many meetings you've been to, but what's your impression so far? Like, what do you think it is and what do you think it might become? Um,
2: I've been to one tomorrow per people meeting and I've had a you know conversation with Sergey afterwards so that that's pretty much my full exposure to it you know i didn't actually even know it was called tomorrow people when i when i joined it i thought that the meeting name was saying the meeting was tomorrow and so i was confused when my calendar invite said tomorrow but it was the same day I, it was just this confusing thing but anyways that's good to know <laughs> i enjoyed uh, that peter, very led, good to know. <laughs> peter led the meeting i was i was uh, attending and Basically, you know, you, you started off with a Wim Hof, a breathing exercise, which I awkwardly joined like halfway through, but the, you know, and I, I, joked because like I, I would have thought the thing was a total cult because I joined and you guys were like doing this strange breathing ritual all in sync. But thankfully I had already been doing Wim Hof breathing exercises just by chance. So it turned out to not be so, <laughs> so jarring. Um, and, uh, Good choice, Peter, because Wim Hof is, is a hilarious and uh, really cool guy. He kind of combines like the Eastern spirituality with like science and with just being a bro, which is a very rare combo.
0: <laughs> Love that um, description of Wim Hof. And then, yeah, he has this crazy Norsk attitude as well to it, which is, I think is pretty fun. Well, I'm glad yeah, you enjoyed yeah. that portion of it and weren't initially scared away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah man oh, yeah, that, yeah. that is to, that is
1: all good feedback though like i it's it's funny <laughs> framing it like that. I feel like it's it's one of those things where like any like there's all there's always like funny stories at the beginning of like any organization and and like i I was like the the fact that like this is like from your perspective, Kyle and like all those like little things, none of those were like on my radar as like potentially being like pitfalls, but like definitely stuff that we have to uh, figure out in the future. Oh, I mean, I, you know, I think if I had known, for example, that
2: we were going to start off with a meditation, I think you were trying to tell me that actually, maybe you told me like 10 minutes before, but I had, didn't check my phone. So, you know, if you had just told me it wouldn't have been that, that jarring, I think that would have totally made sense. But, uh, <laughs> um, and I enjoyed it. I love doing a, a, a little 15 minute, uh, breathing exercise. You know, even if it was something I wasn't familiar with, I would have, I would have enjoyed it too, just cause it's, it's fun to try new things like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I can give my impression of the rest of the meeting. I'll, I'll try to recall what, what happened. Um, we basically went over after the breathing, uh, we, we went over and wrote down our own personal goals for the next year, which was uh, you know, a really simple exercise. And I think we limited our amount of time and the number of goals that we could write. So it forced us to really prioritize what we wanted to do. And I thought that was a really cool personal development exercise that's something that I don't do, uh, regularly. Um, and I can't remember what we did for the rest of the meeting. Uh, I, I think we went over and talked, we talked o- about the goals that we'd selected, um, why we selected them and sort of how we prioritized them. And it was a pretty, it was a pretty quick meeting actually. I felt like, you know, it was very efficient with the time, which was nice. Um, and, uh, I guess my biggest takeaway, like the, the thing that I liked the most about it is, um, it, it felt, you know, again, it was efficient and it, it was also like, it was a good introspection for me. Um, and it's, it was nice to be, you know, we talked, we talked about some of our goals that we all had, and there was a lot of shared goals that, that we surprisingly shared with each other, despite not, you know, me not, not having known any of the guys, uh, except for Sergey in the group. So it was cool that we had shared goals and, and we could. You know, kind of create this little network and uh, community where we could talk about the problems we were facing in them, um, and and talk about solutions and our shared interests. Um, but that's it. I mean, I don't have a, a super deep perspective on it. I talked to Sergey afterwards uh, about about sort of my initial impressions and sort of the the ways that you can avo- avoid feeling too culty and uh, too like, <laughs> you know, you um, know, making sure that the branding is is good, but aside from that, I mean, uh, that was my takeaway. I I enjoyed, I enjoyed the time, uh, especially for how short it was.
0: That's great. Yeah. So, and for people, maybe this is your first episode or maybe we still haven't, you know, really clarified what the tomorrow people are, you know, is it is it a cult? Is it a religion? Is it, like, um, like just a community of people? Like, I think that's all still being defined now. And so... Um, Wait, did you just say, is it a cult, as one of the options for what it could be? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you already a cult, so. <laughs>
2: Should we rewind a little bit? Like, <laughs> glad you called him out on that. We should have like a vote and, and be like, "All right, members, uh, we're voting to decide if we want this to be a cult or not."
0: <laughs> <laughs> like a
1: or we
2: self-aware cult of all time.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So. um, but the, the idea with each person kind of running a meeting was that uh, because I think there were six initial people at the first one, uh, everyone would take a week and then we'd do it for like three or four months. And at the end of that, everyone would have two weeks or you know, that they ran um, and we'd kind of sort out what we liked about everyone's weeks and then try to come up with either like a three-month um, kind of like session thing, you know? So maybe like the goals thing is at the beginning of the three months and there's some sort of like, uh, you know, pro- progress going out through the thing, you know, the next, the remainder of the quarter. And then like at the end of the quarter, Sergey and I have talked about and other pe- people in the group having some sort of like retreat, maybe like a four or five day weekend, you know, everyone gets together and we, You know, would then figure out like what the next three months would be or it's a combination of whatever already took place. But um, and I think we talked about it in the last meeting as well. But just like the lack of kind of community that seems to I don't know, I'm kind of feeling and I, I feel like other people have said as much, too. But, you know, schools, they're structured. Everything's pretty structured, kind of have built in friend groups and everything like that. And then after school's done, you know, you have work, but you can have work friends and stuff, but it just doesn't feel, I don't know, I'm I'm kind of looking for something that uh, I resonate more towards. And for me, like traditional religions have never kind of fit that bill. Um, So we're taking a crack, I think, at making something that might.
1: Yeah, very well put um yeah i mean i think uh just to kind of segue off of that i mean i think definitely definitely a lot of like iteration to still do and as far as as far as i think like how things are going i mean i think overall just generally positive i think uh it's it's funny that the like your impressions of it kyle um but i think it i think it just highlights for for me like i i've had this idea for at least like a year and a half or so and um you know, it was, it was just kind of bugging me cause it was in my head, but there were like aspects of it that were like for years were kind of just in there of like wanting some sense of community or something. Um, but, but also kind of like not really like finding that in any specific organization that I could join. So I figured maybe starting one and then two just personally being organized enough to actually like run stuff. I think just even like even, even just running these meetings, it's, I'm just, I'm learning a lot about, you know, what, what makes a good meeting? Like, I mean, I think it's, it's a lot of, it's about like listening to feedback, but also um, having a vision and then kind of communicating that vision clearly. Uh, it's, it's all, I mean, those are all skills and, and it's an art um, because you can have something in your mind about how, how things are going to go, but it immediately, as soon as you like learn, just like as you, when you bring that into the real world, it changes and people like influence it and it shifts and it, and it grows in different directions and you got to be comfortable kind of pivoting and, you know, pursuing, pursuing something that maybe you didn't think of or, or letting go of something that maybe you held dear or like being okay with something like the vision completely like changing and, and evolving. Um, and then also being sure just not to take on too much. Right. So I think like the podcasts just do like, this is the fourth one we've done. We've done seven meetings this week will be the eighth. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of like taking a step back during the holidays and kind of reevaluating and, and setting that, uh, I think that three month goal makes sense. Um, you know, obviously in-person meetings with the Rona's is, is a little tough, but um, you know, we'll see, we'll see how that clears up. Obviously that's, that's not forever. Um, and I like, I like the three month thing too, because it, 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 it resonates nicely with this CGP gray video I saw about, uh, new year's resolutions that it's actually better to have like a theme for, a, a, like a three month season. Cause it's not a whole year. It's not super long. And then you can kind of pivot and reevaluate your themes. Um, and I think, I think that'd be great for, uh, You know, maybe for us to kind of collectively set as a group. So then, for each of the meetings, there's there's this broader overarching theme that you can maybe like tie back into uh, that we all kind of are excited about. So, um, and then yeah, just I've I've just met a ton of like really smart, interesting people over the years. So I wanted to uh, connect everyone and see, you know, just kind of let let the games begin, right? (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, I like that element of it. I like that it was a collaborative that was actually one of the things that I liked the most was that it was, it was pretty collaborative and it it felt like the baton was being shared by each of the members of the group. Um, so props to you, Sergey, for, you know, being willing to, uh, basically share the, you know, share the torch as, as the rest of the group kind of contributes their own thoughts and directions and and like, you know, together, I think you're, I think you guys had a great idea of, of basically Together, after six months, you can look back and decide what worked the best. And then out of that, you can create the, a more formal structure moving forward.
0: Yeah, I think part of that comes from the coding boot camp that Suri and I went through. Um, like, I found it to be a great uh, structure for learning anything, because they would basically have three or four different groups running across the country. Um, but every cohort, which would be the group, that finish they'd take feedback and they'd reevaluate on what worked and what didn't work. And whereas like a college curriculum, right. We'll have a professor and he's probably teaching the same thing that was taught, you know, uh, last five years or something like that. And I just, I never feel like I didn't feel like it was iterating in a systematic way to create better results, uh, at the end. And I feel like, that's a missed opportunity having experienced how you can try to incorporate a system like that.
1: I mean, same goes for like what you were saying about religion, right? It's, it's not like that's, it's not like that's a organization that (laughs) feedback and rapid iteration. Um, So, I mean, in in terms of like (laughs) defining this, right. It's it, that's, that's the tricky thing because it has like aspects of a, a startup, right. We're using a lot of like, you know, just like the industry technologies that, you know, it's like, this is the best, podcasting software or, or video software or whatever. Um, but then we're also kind of trying to, I think, be intentional about how we use it and, uh, you know, again, use it for connection. Right. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, like frame this as like taking this away from time that otherwise would be spent just like scrolling on social media or something. Right. And, um, you know, it's of being this kind of passive consumer of information, um, actively creating something and actively working on things. And, and that won't, and that won't be for everyone. I think not everyone's trying to, or maybe has the bandwidth to work on stuff. Like my cousins went through law school. Uh, you know, my other friend, Jeff, like he's, he's, you know, kind of been traveling and like figuring stuff out. Um, you know, so uh, it, it, it's sometimes tough to like work on collective projects together. Um, you know, that's the thing with like school projects, right. That can feel like a chore. But um, for me personally, I, I'm, I, I enjoy the creative aspect of it as well. So, um,
2: Sergey, we, you, and I had a really good conversation uh, last. I think it was last week where we kind of dove in, and I, I shared with you a lot of my thoughts about uh, and questions mostly about sort of what the Tomorrow People uh, is. And I mean, I don't know. I don't think we can go over everything we talked about, but it was it was a really you know f- fun talk because we got really into the nitty gritty. Uh, we talked about the blog posts and um, I guess one of the things I, I don't know if you shared this with Peter yet, but one of the things that I, I think I found, I mean, this is a Delta, I guess, from my perspective would be, I, I was a little hesitant to like jump on and be like, you know, I am a tomorrow person. I want to come to all, I, I'm ready to come to the next meeting, et cetera, because I felt because I wasn't quite sure what I was signing up for. Like even after the meeting, I got a sense for what you were going for, but because the organization has this specific label and it has this, uh, even, even a specific branding now with the like blog posts, I basically, I kind of wanted to be like, you know, I mean, I mean, guess maybe this comes from me being involved in like political stuff, but like I'm hesitant to just like sign on to like, okay, I am X or I'm a part of Y because you know then your name is associated with it you don't know what the leadership of that organization might do or you don't know what the like specifics are and of course you did post these blog posts that summarize sort of the values and the uh or sort of the goals for the tomorrow people but i think we both talked about how those those blog posts are pretty pretty general right now like they're pretty uh they're pretty broad and they talk about a lot of different things and they don't have like you know there's not this like one specific Uh, tenant or principle or value that you're signing on to. And because it's a young organization, there's not sort of this historical understanding that everybody has or a public image that you're signing on to. So for me, that was a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, not an obstacle, rather something that, you know, something that was kind of uh, just in my mind as, as I was like deciding, Oh, do I want to call myself a tomorrow person?
0: It's, it's a very interesting problem, I think. And I think you hit the nail on the head, like the biggest issue that we have right now is that we don't, we're not super defined. Like the, one of the first meetings or second, maybe second or third meeting we did, uh, the, the goal or the task of everybody was to write down principles that they try to live their life by. Um, and I, at least for myself, I'd never particularly done that, you know, um, and it was, it was a really good exercise to go through personally, but the, the idea behind it was the original members who all kind of knew Sergey and had read the blog post, and, you know, they, they were general, we didn't know what we were signing up for either, but would come together and like have common principles or, you know, uh, things that they live by, um. But yeah, we don't really have an elevator pitch for the organization. Um, I think that is definitely something that we need to figure out, Um, because part of it too is like we could come up with one, but until we kind of like walk the walk, I don't know if it'll be true. And you know, as we are kind of sharing the baton and it's molding and we're iterating as we go forward maybe we should just come up with one and then we'll just iterate on it over time. Um, but I, it's I got really interesting. I,
2: I, I gotta say, it's really creative. I mean, I've never heard of an organization that, that forms its principles in such an organic way. And I like we Sergey and I talked about this as well, but usually the organization has the principles first and then the membership joins later. Uh, or people come together because of their shared principles. But Sergey and, and and you are, you guys are experimenting with this concept of what if we bring people together that we, you know, we like talking to for whatever reason, and we then figure out what the shared principles are. And then, like you said, iterate on that. And it, 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 it will have sort of these these roadblocks that come up or these obstacles that you have to resolve together. But I, th- I think you might be out of something. It's, it's a really interesting organic uh, process.
0: Well, it's interesting too, because like you, you brought up political parties and from my understanding over the last hundred years, uh Republican and Democratic stances have more or less switched. Um and obviously that took place over a long period of time and slowly, but they did, you know, actually iterate on their principles. <laughs> so um, Absolutely. So I, I mean it it's it's not like it's not done. Um so <laughs> but you're right. We should, it's not really common. I don't think.
1: For sure. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, and I think it did, it did sort of spawn out of a partially political, um, I don't know, just sense of, uh, yeah, and I think most people are kind of tuned into that, like just frustration, I guess, on uh, whatever side you're on, I, I could probably guess that you're frustrated like politically. Um, and I think there's, I think there's reasons for that. I think we, you know, we could talk about it at length. Um, but, uh, that's, I think that was kind of the original, maybe like, like visceral motivation for me. And I, and, you know, David, who we had on last week, uh, we, I worked with him on a project and, uh, just sort of like digital democracy stuff. Um, and I do see that as kind of being like partially a component of this. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of the question uh, that I, I guess, if I, if I could frame the organization as through the lens of a question, it would be what does a society that I want to live in look like in the 21st century? And what can I do about sort of bringing that about? Uh, there's this great, great quote that I heard from a uh, Casey Neistat video called uh, or uh, the, the, not the video, the the quote, it goes action expresses priorities. So I think, you know, I, I could give you like the, the grand vision for the tomorrow people. But I when I go down that sort of like mental rabbit hole, it always felt kind of wrong because I, I didn't want it. It just feels it feels too grandiose for what it is. I mean, it's because right now it's it's like, how do I connect that vision to a podcast with like 10 downloads or like a week like eight a weekly meeting that's happened like eight times? It it didn't seem right. Um, and so I just figured, okay, let's start smaller. How do I just create a valuable time for people who I respect and whose opinions I care about and just kind of create value that way. And then create this podcast, which is a space to explore interesting ideas and then record them and share them. So you have this private and public space and kind of use that, that creativity that that I enjoy and sort of spread, create these ideas, like work, work on developing some of them and ultimately use that to kind of define and describe like, what, what do I think society could look like. What do I think? Maybe should look like, or shouldn't look like, or just kind of hear varied perspectives because I'm I'm not someone who has all the answers. But I think I think there's there's a process by which we can arrive at answers. Like I don't think we need to be gridlocked politically. I think we can work together in really complex ways as human beings. Um, and I think right now we're seeing dysfunction, and we we don't know how well we could function all like collectively. And I'm, I'm, I guess that's what I'm excited about seeing because we have all this great technology. We can communicate super fast, but we're also doing a lot of things and, and that are very outdated or we're thinking in really outdated ways. Uh, I want to kind of personally break out of that and then share that journey and, and experience with others and seeing kind of who gravitates towards that. And then whoever that is, I guess is kind of what I consider to be a tomorrow person right? That's great. I thought, I think that,
2: I mean, that's an amazing, uh, you know, goal for the organization to have, uh, like you summarized it as, this part that stuck out to me was, you know, envisioning what you want society to look like and then figuring out the steps you need to take to move there. Um, I think approaching it right from a, from a point of view of you're not, you're not standing to profit personally from it, you generally want to, you know, make make things better for everyone. And You're coming at it from this open minded, open hearted sort of perspective. I you know I I would I would sign on to the organization that does that. I mean, you know, if, if you really build, you know, if you stick up, uh, if you stick up for those values and you actually make sacrifices for those values and you actually work hard to do, you know, and you and you've proven that you can work hard to uh, to move in that direction. And like you said, I think there's a scientific approach. There's scientific angle to it as well of, of uh, you know, experimenting and, and, understanding the facts then. Yeah. I mean, no, I would sign on to that. It, the, you know, I guess the, 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 obvious trick is, you know, that's what a lot of people say. A lot of people say they want to make society better in X, Y, Z way with an ulterior motive or some subconscious ulterior motive that ends up corrupting the organization. Um, in, you know, Definitely. in some way. So,
0: yeah. And actually the way you just summarize it, Sergey, I mean, this, I thought of this line as a potential elevator pitch. What can we do to make the society of tomorrow today? Um, it can be workshopped a little, but just wanted to get that recorded. Um, as for some things we've talked about, like, uh, the Bill, <clears throat> the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They, um, he has a great TED talk where he talks about like the uh, kind of economic return of charity. So, like part of the reason they targeted um, uh, like uh, vaccines for children in Africa as one of their initial donations was because they saw that you know if they were to vaccinate children or you know help them live past their first you know couple of years of life they would go on to live in most cases you know a full life and the economic return of that individual person would be like a thousand times whatever the cost of you know the vaccines or food or nutrition that they were lacking to get there so it's kind of like those asymmetrical bets or wedges you know um, and that's something we talked about as a group like If we do donations, we want to make sure that whatever, like the donations or whatever we support has like an outsized uh, return. And it's not a return for us, but a return for like society.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I'm a huge effective altruism fan. And I've been uh, I've been on this thing called giving what we can since like 2014, since I had like no no income, which is basically like you pledge to donate 10% of your money every year, your income every year to, uh, effective charities because like, I mean, you know, I was born into extreme wealth compared to the average person around the world. Right. If your family is like a, you know, both spouses are making income or, uh, you live in like a nice house that's paid for in America, you're probably in the, in the 1% of people around the world. Um, and so I was always like, "Damn, this is like, you know, this is not, not fair that other people don't have this just because they were born to different families. I was like, yeah, I gotta, I should at least do, sacrifice something, you know, and it's not even consequential, like 10% of your income. If you save a little bit of money, you can just like make up for that. So, I uh, and then, you know, the charities that they, they choose are like, they suggest are like things like, you know, malaria nets. Giving, uh, give directly, which is just like straight up UBI for the poorest families, um, in, in like Africa or, um, you know, other poor countries. I think that stuff is, is great.
0: Yeah. So the only difficulties we haven't taken many concrete steps towards that, but that's currently the idea. Um, and then kind of like the meeting you attended to, I think it'd be great if, you know, there was like personal positive development as well. And then another thing we've talked about is an aspect of fun. Um, you know, uh, like it doesn't and have to be really all work. Yes. <laughs> For uh, my friends, family, they'd call it force family fun. they do like, like <laughs> or something, you know, but um, yeah, something that people look forward to. So, so I've talked about kind of the multi day retreats or something like that, um, you know, quarterly.
1: But, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's great. I mean, like, yeah, the effect of altruism thing was literally what I was going to segue into. And it was funny, just like the conversations we've had, Kyle is just like, like, wow, like, he's thought of this thing too. Like, so that's why I invited you to the meeting. Um, there's a, have you heard of a guy named Hasib Qureshi? No, I don't think so. Uh, look him up. He he wrote an interesting uh, blog post about uh, kind of, he, he went through boot camp also, and then kind of like hacked his hacked the election system or election system. <laughs> he hacked the, uh, uh, the hiring, I guess, process and, and sort meaning like deconstructed it, like learned it, learned the algorithms, got really good at it. And then had a bunch of competing offers from like Google and Airbnb. Um, and then his post went super viral because, uh, people were trying to figure out how to break into the tech industry, but he's big on effective altruism. Uh, David, who I, I think you, I think you met him at one of the meetings, but he was on last week's podcast. He, uh, his friend I think was works with him. So like, he's big in like the tech community. Uh, now he's doing blockchain stuff, but, um, he'd be a great guest to have on the podcast. He's, he's big on effective altruism. And I think it's, I mean, I think it's just kind of common sense. Like there's, a. to me, I kind of almost look at it as like partially the role of what government is supposed to do or like society. It's, it's, uh, yeah, um, definitely. there's some element of, of like, how do you, how do you make sure that things are running smoothly? And, and I mean, even if like, if you are privileged, I think there it's, it's almost beyond the government. It's be, it should be like a cultural thing where like, if there's too much of an imbalance, if there's too much detachment, that's when you really get like un- instability. And, and like, if you want things to kind of work well and you want there to be harmony and, and everyone to be thriving, there's gotta be some, some deeper sense of giving back. Um, and I don't, I don't personally feel like I have a strong sense of that necessarily. I mean, especially compared to a lot of people. And I think, uh, like there's things like gratitude I can work on and things that, um, you know, I think I'm just, I'm excited to kind of like grow into. Cause I, I think just even this year, as I've kind of gotten my own life in a little more bit of an order, um, like just this weekend, I, I've helped my brother sort of kind of work through some like coding problems that, that I, I used to teach. And so I've kind of freed up that bandwidth to help others. And so I. I see that as like a deep part of this organization. I think uh, all the people who are part of it are very privileged in their own ways. Um, and I, and I, obviously there's, there's the economic side of that, but I think also just, just in terms of like uh, you know, just their, the education and educational opportunities they've had. And also just like the mind that they were born with, or, you know, were able to kind of develop over the, over time yeah. and, um, and the network or whatever that they're part of and the, the travel or, or things that they've been able to do at, at at this age with most most people are within the 20s or early 30s um, you know i think it's i think it if there was a if there was a league of like superheroes right that's going back to like the original blog post like it this is what real world superheroes like could look like it's you know you have this perspective and and ability um to do good with it then like you know why not
0: yeah and it's interesting I, you frame I, it. I, sorry
2: no, go for it. Um, I really agreed with uh, with what you said, uh, Sergey. I mean, I, I love that. Um, one thing that gives me a little bit of pause is to is to is to lean too heavily into the superhero stuff because it's just I don't want to be holding myself up as a superhero. I mean, that's that's kind of like to me that feels uh, narcissistic and sort of self like congratulatory. Um, which, which I, what we talked about at our last conversation, Sergey, which I think I really resonated with was this concept of like sacrifice, like how much a person sacrifices for others. I think in my head is genuinely the best gauge for how much of a hero they are. And we talked about how Tony Stark has this interesting character arc where he's, he doesn't sacrifice that much until the last scene of his love is life. Spoiler alert. Uh, At which point I think that really solidifies him as a, as a superhero, but like, you know, just him being rich and like making cool shit and like fighting, you know, like whatever he can, he's, he's not, I don't, you know, I don't see that as necessarily being like uh, the, the, the most like morally impressive thing. And this is, you know, this is obviously a tangent, but I thought this was one of the most interesting things we talked about in our conversation.
0: Well, I kind of really want to jump on this tangent. So I'll argue that he actually, his arc changed, you know, when he was in the cave initially with the first Iron Man, because then after that he changed basically like his entire fictional empire to be uh, something that protects the, you know, citizens of earth and wanted to make a shield. And, you know, that turned into, uh, what was the second Avengers? Yeah. the robot. Ultron. Anyway, Ultron. Um, right. So, like, you could look at it that way. So, I don't know. I, but I completely agree with you. I think uh, some of, like, I, I love the aspect of the community kind of, you know, that that would bring. Like, I think it's fun of all these uh, exceptionally selfless people who are just trying to do good for others. Like, I think that's probably the, the thread that I'd like to continue on. I, I don't know if, you know, super is the word. Um, but like uh, uh, Carnegie is, uh, he has an autobiography. He, he donated his entire fortune and advocated for other, uh, you know, Titans of industry around the turn of the century to do the same. And that's the reason we have public libraries is he, he donated the first bunch of them and he talks as a, As a kid, you know, growing up poor in Philadelphia where it would rain so much, like the streets would flood and they didn't have plumbing. So there would literally be be shit like up to 10 feet. (laughs) So that was the environment he grew up in. And his his escape was that he went to a private library and uh, there were like other benefactors that, you know, allowed him to afford the library. So I think it was like, 10 cents or something like that but through that he was able to gain knowledge and then he was able to leverage that and go on to be um you know one of the richest most powerful people in the world for that period of time um but he understood that it it was like the game is bigger than himself and i think if he hadn't chose it'd be very interesting to see where the world is if you know, public libraries weren't part of it. It, it, That's like something that probably had such an amazing positive impact, you know, and I don't know if that's something you can even figure out, like a malaria net, you can definitely figure out, but that's such an interesting idea, you know, let's give, (laughs) let's build structures and put knowledge in there and give it to people for free. Uh, Pretty crazy.
2: Yeah, that that was a cool uh, anecdote. I didn't know that about a uh, Carnegie and I'd
1: love to talk about that more later. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's you mentioned it a few times to me, Pete. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like that idea of it. I think, um, you know, with, with any kind of story, it's, uh, I like that you brought up like the narcissism piece to it. Cause I think it's good to be, have, be like really open and frank about those kinds of things. Um, because I could, I could see how it's, mis- it, it could be construed as a, as that being like the motivation for it. And I think that's, it's, it's intention and like figuring out someone's intention is, is always so tricky right like is why why is someone saying or doing something like is it because they have ulterior motives is because they're good or bad i think um i mean that's maybe what so talks about politics is just like someone will do anything and depending on which way you lean it it it's viewed one way or another um and uh but but i think it's i think it's still a good thing to talk about and i mean i think like I guess the Tony Stark, the reason he resonates with me most is because I, I think it's like like I I'm at now being like an adult. I've kind of noticed just my own childhood's been really easy. So his his struggle like came later in life. I mean, whereas you look at someone like Captain America or a lot of other, um, you know, heroes, like they have like a hard upbringing. So it's kind of like it gets encouraging that uh, <laughs> that someone with with an easy kind of upbringing can kind of pivot into you know doing being being a force for good. Um and I also like I, I don't take the superhero thing like too too seriously. Um but I mean I I do think that uh as far as and I think I think I mentioned this last time when we talked Kyle was uh um just sort of grappling with like imposter syndrome, Dunning-Kruger type of stuff, like you know, we like I think coming to terms with with my own like capacity for you know, anything like good, bad, whatever, um, has been tricky. Right. I think just wherever that came from, which was like the the education I was given or, um, just kind of my own sort of hard work or whatever, some combination, um, figuring out exactly like what it means and like what I can do with it. Right. Not being too grandiose and thinking, you know, I'm, I'm just the bee's knees, but also not like, not feeling disempowered, not feeling like, I can't do anything or that the problems are too big that I, that I can't have a positive impact. I guess that's, that's more how I, I think about it. Um, and, uh, and I, and I agree. I think there's, there's this element of like self congratulatoriness that, uh, that I, I think is, you know, dangerous or, or sort of a slippery slope and also potentially kind of like self diluted. Like I remember going to a lot of like university uh, like talks with, with some of like the administration and they would brag about how like Oh, we're, we're ranked so super high. And, and, you know, this year, like, you know, we, we, we went up a rank or this, this other, you know, in this, in this department where, uh, you know, this, this person got a Nobel prize and it just felt so detached. And I'm like, how is this like, how is this addressing the fact that tuition's gone up like 50% in the time that I've been here? Or like, just how is this addressing any of like the core issues that, you know, like you can, the students aren't getting higher, right. Or you're not learning like practical skills. It just. It's uh, you know, it's this kind of willful blindness that um, that uh, I have an aversion to. Um, so, I mean, I think, but I, but I think these are all worth bringing up, and I think it, people should feel comfortable saying, "Whoa, like this, this feels like we're going down a, a, a bad path, right?" And um, somehow flagging that to people in charge of making the decisions and having those conversations, and that's again it goes back to the whole point of this podcast or you know the meetings is is where without this, I don't have like a consistent space to get that from people. Right. And so that's kind of, again, part of the definition, part of that process. And, um, you know, like when when we talked, I got a sense that you might be one of those people who's willing to call this kind of stuff out. And too, it's like, I think there's a, people see a lot of dysfunction
0: all over. And we've talked about this too, that, you know, most, uh, revolutions are you know, maybe four or 6% of the population participate in it before it uh, happens everywhere. Um, but you do need at least like an initial group or groups of people to like to pursue an agenda or pursue some sort of change to to have it happen. Because, I mean, there's groups all over the place doing all sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, I... I it, Like it would be one story I kind of like is uh, Scientologists um, beat the IRS. Um, The IRS was investigating them to see if they were a real religion. And (laughs) Scientologists told every single member of their group to sue the IRS individually in every state that they were a part of. And they basically just made the IRS buckle. And it's like that just kind of illuminated how powerful small groups of people can be when they set their mind to uh, (laughs) make something happen unexpected
2: anecdote you could have ever used for that. That is so funny.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I think it kind of feeds into our thing, right? You're like, what is Scientology? Is it a religion? Is it not, you know, it's like, it's weird. Um, I
2: think (laughs) Peter, you've been you've been going too heavy in the cult direction on this on this episode today. (laughs) Been trying to steer him away (laughs) from it. He just keeps going. (laughs) I I mean, I I mean, actually, actually, I I think it's funny that you mentioned Scientology because like that was one of the things I want to talk about earlier in the in the episode because I I found the history of Scientology really interesting because honestly, it is people, uh, you know, it's 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 wealthy white dudes who basically came together and were like yo, like, let's just do some fiction, some creative stuff. Let's, you know, like, experiment with, like, uh, some magic and some, like, you know, I don't know, at the time, I guess they thought it was, like, scientific or per- perhaps esoteric knowledge that they were tapping into. But I also think there's a like, huge element of of narcissism and self-delusion that went into Scientology, and it led to a shit ton of abuse of their own members. And Oh, yeah. It's a pretty like, you know, I I think that's a part a pattern that happens when you have cults. When I say cults, I mean new religious movements or organizations that, you know, fancy themselves to be sort of the bearers of some uh, mystical truth in which usually there's some figurehead who has a uh, godlike aura and his subordinates basically do whatever the hell he tells them to do. Um, I just wanted to bring up that like Scientology is like kind of a shitty religion, a shitty group. Uh, in general uh,
0: i i i agree with you but it's still impressive how given yeah, how shitty it they, is. Are, how <laughs> they are and how they continue to wield influence you know i just I, I I wouldn't model
2: ourselves on them you know because that leads to like centralization of authority with like um, oh yeah
0: you know, that, yeah i don't know That's definitely bad but like if the tomorrow <laughs> people wanted to file as a religion like i think they set a great precedence you know so uh i don't know Cause what, that's part of the other thing yeah. too. It's like, what, what is this organization like legally? Right. Right now it's a bunch of people coming together, but eventually if it continues, they'll have to be some sort of, um, I mean, you know, I, I would be,
2: something. I would not be interested if this was going to certify itself as a religion. Probably that's just
0: interesting based on right. the so press. What you would know, like, you again, certify it as?
2: Um, I mean, it again, depends on the goals. Uh, i like i i don't i don't know just because you know things that are certified as religions tend to base like they're usually cult-like groups
0: um and
2: like it just is a kind of a dangerous path to go down in my opinion
0: so like if you were to uh so one one thing we've talked about is like uh like voting and so like uh David, who was on the previous podcast, Liquid Democracy, it's this really cool way of being able to vote on something digitally uh, secure. But one of the issues, not with Liquid Democracy, but just in the concept of voting is the choices you're given to vote for. So if you were to give people a choice of different things in the group that they could classify, or they would vote to classify the tomorrow people as, what would you list as options?
2: A personal development organization that's very, uh, like, that that, that has a responsibilities, like, distributed between, like, a wide group of people, um, which I think is sort of what it is at this point, which is fantastic. I, I love the current sort of, so like, is status it like of it.
0: A non- is it a non-profit? It doesn't have it to. Really I mean, non-profit? you don't have to legally recognize
2: yourselves. It's just, there's no
0: reason but to do that. I mean, let's say we wanted to raise money, right?
2: Uh, like, in what way?
0: Really? Well, like, what if. Like, what raise if you money wanna, from like,
2: the federal government or from individuals?
0: From people within the group. And then, like, you know, I mean, we've kicked around, like, at some point, some sort of monthly contribution or something like that. You know, I don't know. Yeah, you can be a nonprofit, right? A, five, a four,
2: 3C, I guess.
1: Like, that, that seems like an actual. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a good point. Like, it's one of those things that uh, I think, and that's that's why I didn't want to like go that route. I mean, I think it's just it's just too premature. But I mean, I think there's there's a lot of like routes it can go. I think the charity, like the effective altruism thing, is is a big part of what I envision for it. And I mean, especially if we're gonna do like trips and stuff, like there's just like logistical things, and then two, just like like really basic stuff. Like when I was at a like my first company I was working for was like a 10 person startup. Like, you know, you need, you have like accounts for things like there's an account for Zencaster. There's an account for like the Google drive and, and, you know, just organizing calendars, there's Slack channels, there's spreadsheets, there's, um, you know, whatever it is. And I think having some kind of organizational structure is is good. Um, as far as like the nonprofit stuff, I think there's like I it's just so premature because it's, I don't even know like what the scaling would look like at this phase. Right. Cause I think it's, I think it's just right now, you know, Peter and I, we talked about like just keeping it small. I don't think we're trying to like find a bunch of members. I think we're trying to find, it's like shooting for quality first. And then eventually like, you know, if, if it's more people like, you know, and it should just be kind of like word of mouth. It's like, Hey, I want to invite this person who I personally know who I think would be really cool. Um, and then like, you know, you, Across the scale. I mean, I, I do like the idea of like some kind of digital voting system for members. Like if we got to hundred or 200 or thousand people, um, you know, and you're like, Hey, we want to do some like big summit type thing or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's partially what I'm also just really interested in building is like, like what, uh, I mean, you know, having been a part of a very small organization now, like really large one seeing like what works in each, like where, where does the structure kind of get in the way? right? I think there's, there's an opportunity for if the structure the internal structure of the organization is really good and really effective at whatever its goals are, then it will, it will grow and it will kind of expand and, and kind of be, become more uh, of an influence and more of a force in, in the community. Um, and so I think just exploring that to me, just in and of itself, that problem is interesting.
0: Kyle, I remember you mentioned too, that you have been involved with like different political, uh, groups, like how, how does that typically run? I don't know much about that. Like, you know, is like, I know there's super PACs and, but like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Cause right. They kind of have to accumulate, uh, common goals and then like, you know, pool, uh, resources and then, you know, try to succeed at something all pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, I've been involved in a bunch of different political organizations that have done a bunch of different things. I mean, disclosure, basically, like I've like I talked to Sergey about this. I've always had that feeling, uh, you know, that I need to make society better in some way. And I've also had that feeling of like it has to come with some kind of uh, sort of sacrifice, I, I guess, or or at least like it shouldn't be something. It shouldn't be making society change in a way that benefits me personally at the expense of other people. And so I was naturally drawn towards the leftist stuff and learning about like progressive movements and causes. And, and you know, started off like in college uh, organizing groups that like protested uh, our aggressive foreign policy and like, you know, wars that we were fighting for oil in other countries. Um, and then it sort of transitioned after college. I started uh, after Trump got elected, I kind of took a break because I was like, dude, this sucks nothing's working. And then after uh, a few years, I kind of got re re-ins- reinspired. inspired um, Basically Bernie Sanders uh, started running and I kind of, I, I still believe that like the biggest problems we're facing the country are just simple economic problems. The fact that like very few people are benefiting from our massive amount of economic growth that we've seen in the last like 10 years, while the majority of people are not getting a piece of that. And they're you know, income hasn't grown. Their wages are, you know, the minimum wage is still, you know, $8 an hour. You know, like my friends, parents, some of them make $8 an hour still. Uh, and so, like, just shit like that really frustrates me and makes me want to, like, what makes me want to do something and fight for change. So, I, let's see, I mean, I did stuff at Google. I I protested some of the company's, uh sort of, you know, more egregious Uh, decisions that they made regarding like paying out an executive uh, $80 million after he was accused of sexual harassment. Um, And he kind of like, you know, general, these kind of campaigns are not fought by like PACs. I mean, super PACs are basically like lobbies, like super PACs are like when a bunch of companies are like, Hey, we want to like raise a ton of money for this candidate because like, they're going to like continue, I don't know, buying, like they're going to continue buying, tanks from the company that we are on the board of so let's give them a ton of money so that they'll keep like you know voting to buy tanks um but the groups that i was in are small groups of basically like volunteers who are just passionate about the cause and and usually what that involves is getting people to sign petitions or uh going to protests um going to marches uh like you know things like that
0: like how effective are those versus kind of the packs? Cause I, I have to imagine the packs are kind of uh, more like they get their goal more often of the time. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I, it'd be, cause I think it'd be great to have that like a thousand person, right? Like core group of the tomorrow people or whatnot. And everyone be like, yeah, we're going to all put in X amount of money to, you know, maybe, uh, it's the charity or maybe, you know, everyone's just freaking sick of like something going on. And, you know, you throw in for a candidate on a particular issue for something like I, I, I'm not sure, you know, it's the same reason like being effective with the charity. It, it, it'd be, it'd be nice to know what's effective with politics too.
2: Yeah. Well, that's where the different opinions comes in and like, if you just say like, Hey, we're going to raise a bunch of money and then figure out what to donate it to later. Like no one's going to donate to your political campaign. I mean, maybe some people will, but they really have to trust you. Uh, because there's a, you know, what, what's to stop you from just donating to some random politician that like you believe in, but they don't. And everybody has a different opinion about how to make things better. Um, it's, uh, you know, I think that's, that's a bit tougher, uh, of a cell than saying, then say, Hey, look, we're going to donate to the top rated charities voted by these independent charity rating organizations, which is pretty objective. Like for example, if you, if you did want to do like a political organization, what you need to do is then have a set of principles and values and sort of like, here are our political ideals and you need to have those upfront. Otherwise, like you're just, you're going to have a hard time getting anyone to send you their money without I promise that they're you're not just gonna go ahead and donate that to their their least favorite politician. Sure. Or you're just gonna get but corrupted by from like, some rich must... person who comes in and just says, like, oh hey, you guys want some money? I I'd love to give you some money. But you know what? I actually think that uh yeah, yeah. like we should raise the price of insulin to be five hundred dollars a vial because you know, that that just is what you know, that's what I like. And that's that's how like, you know, shitty packs are that's how basically the American political system got to be so corporatized in my opinion.
0: Right. So like, what if the goal, (laughs) so right. There must be, uh, I imagine there's groups of companies that pool together on, you know, uh, there's probably like AT&T and all the different carriers and stuff have lobbies and they probably don't want local internet and stuff like that. But like, um, uh, like they find common ground, even though they're direct competitors. Right. So, um, it, but they're, their common ground is like on a goal. Um I I do agree with you. This system is is not functioning as designed. Um but it's it's like how how to affect change in it. I'm not I Yeah. I'm I mean
2: sure. if you ask me how to affect change in terms of like, you know, how do you fight against a bunch of people who have all the money and seem to have all the politicians in their pocket or whatever. Um I mean, it seems hopeless and it, there has, it has been an uphill battle, I think, for like people who want to fight against that. But my, my answer would be like, the only thing you have is numbers. You don't have like, you might not have a lot of money, but you have a lot of people. Um, and if you can explain to those people like, hey, look, here's what's going on. Here's why you're getting screwed while these few people are getting super rich. Um, then, then you can start to organize like a, a big campaign and, and basically... It doesn't come from like, I mean, this might actually be something core to my, like that I've kind of internalized now. It's like a small group of people can do a lot, but a big group of people can do a lot more. Um, It's just a question of like, you know, and this has been something on the left for like forever is basically how does a small group of people educate or empower a larger group of people? And this is where you get like, you know, differing opinions and organizations. Some people think that like the small group should be the vanguard and just go and lead, uh, do everything themselves on behalf of the large group of people. And that's what like Lenin famously did in Russia. Um, but then you also have some people who like are more populous, like, like Bernie Sanders or somebody who basically says like, Oh, my whole platform is built on people donating $5, not, uh, one person donating $5 million. Um, yeah. I but it's, know.
0: it's interesting too, because like that approach, he's very open about all of his policies and things. And that's why people would donate to him, right? Like I really connected with all of his messaging and I was like, he's great. But like yeah. a, a super PACT, you know, if, if I was trying to affect change and there were two guys running that were going to probably win and I could just donate to both of them, <laughs> you know, like I can't lose. That sounds great um and then you know then i can affect the change that i want to affect so um
2: wait i don't understand can you explain that last part like how is donating to two people going to affect change
0: so like right like um say there's a democrat and republican running for a particular thing or a series of them that might be able to push a bill you know that could be beneficial. Um like you could just donate to both of them. You don't need to donate to one or the other because if you donate to both of them, it doesn't matter who wins. Like you have you will uh well they're they're not gonna be beholden
2: to you unless like you're like basically it's it's more of like, hey, if you do this thing, I will donate to you. And like for example, if you donate to both of them, there's they're not gonna like any if you just consistently do that every time. Why would they do the thing that you ask them to do? Like they don't have to do the thing that you ask them to do because they know you're going to donate to them no matter what the next time, right? They, they're basically trying to like make sure that they have enough funds to like run their campaign. So it'll be like, okay, um, it's expected that you do this, do this. Like, say you vote for this bill in this way, I'll give you money. And if you don't vote for that bill in that way, then the next time you run, I'm not going to give you money. I think that's how that like lobbying this generally needs works.
0: To be- Like a board game. I feel like this would be a really interesting board game. (laughs) Yeah, it might be. You have like a group of people, you'd have like six people that are companies, right? And they'd like try to do different change. And then you'd have like a group of people that are politicians. And then (laughs) they'd have to like try to see if they could stay in office the longest, right? I guess that's the goal. Yeah, yeah. That would be so um, funny.
2: You know that like Monopoly originally was supposed to be like a critique of like, like capitalism, but because like, it was just yeah. fun, you know, people <laughs> liked it, it ended up being like a popular game and they kind of forgot that it was like a critique. Like this sounds like one of those things where you'd make it as like a critique and then people wouldn't realize it. And they would just like treat it as like part of the culture.
0: Yeah. Like I could already see like, okay, you're the big oil coalition and you're like, you know, uh, healthcare, (laughs) right? You get all these different, like, groups of of companies and then you randomly, like, shuffle them out and then they're doubt like, uh, policies that they try to, you know, push forward and some of them conflict against other ones and then there's a much larger group of politicians and you get to, like, or maybe, like, one player controls, like, six politicians or something. I'm not sure, but, yeah
1: yeah it'd be uh i'd play play <laughs> the game of Thrones. yeah i mean i i have you guys heard the story of um the i think it was in india while they the government wanted to uh uh sort of there were a lot of snakes and they wanted to cut back on the number of snakes in the the villages
0: is this a true story I've heard this
1: I don't know if it's true I should probably fact check it but it's it could be true. Kelly, <laughs> have <Callie, laughs> you heard it? No, no, I haven't heard. So basically they, they said, okay, we'll pay you for snake heads if you, if you kill a snake and, you know, just because we want to eradicate them. So can you can you guess what they did, what the villagers did? No. They started they breeding were... the snakes. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it,
2: it's... You want to the original version of that? Hmm. In the American Southwest, in like the, I think it was like the late 1800s, there were still like Apaches that were like raiding, uh, like, villi- like you know, settlements that were being set up in towns. And yeah. the U.S. government, I don't know if, it, I also don't know if this is true or if it's more like apocryphal, but the U.S. government started paying people for bringing them scalps of Apaches. Hmm. You know, human heads. I mean, human scalps. But a human scalp, you know, it's it's pretty tough to distinguish an Apache scalp from you know, a Mexican scalp <laughs> and you can guess what about, uh, you know, bounty hunters started to do. And this is, I think the, p- the premise for the Cormac McCarthy book called blood Meridian. Um, a group of guys basically just going around and just butchering, you know, people across the border, bringing their scalps back and collecting a uh, uh, revenue for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's, that's the thing I, I'm, my biggest concern is like about this organization or any organization that's trying to affect massive change, right? Is this, um, there's a term that I heard for this is that, you know, human beings are complex or human society is a complex adaptive system. So it adapts in ways that are often unpredictable. And that's, that's, the, that's the big thing of like, make sure you're not doing any harm or <laughs> first, right? And I think, I think that's, you know, with, with all these like policy things, yeah, I think there's, there's this, this element of corruption, but um, a lot of these like policy movements, or, or wanting to, you know, if it's ideological or, um, you know, wanting more equality or I, I think I, I want to examine those. I think there's, there's interesting, I think there are interesting problems and I think they have solutions and we can make things better, but I, I alone can't do it. And that's partially why I bringing the groups together and, and sort of crowdsourcing that knowledge. But, um, but yeah, just, just starting small too, like smaller problems because I I realized with like the political system I was like, man, I, I actually don't really know what's best and I think it's it's almost arrogant. I realized I was being arrogant by thinking that I could that I did know what was best for for the whole country, right? It's it's really hard to Yeah. Even just hold I found myself all that thinking my the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So I, my, my, my solution has been like, let I just want to start as small as possible. Like how do I make, how do I just run this group? And yeah. how do I just explore these ideas and, um, and talk about them in a way that's sort of constructive where it's like, okay, let's start from first principles. How do we like come up with conclusions and, and, you know, just everyone also just comes at it from, they have different backgrounds and someone says one thing and it just gets misinterpreted another way. And then the whole conversation kind of spirals out of control. I, I think it's it's worth go- slowing down and saying like what what do what do you mean by socialism? What do you mean by capitalism? What does what does it mean? What is, what is a free market? What is a monopoly? Yeah. Like just and then saying like okay like what what regulations are there? And actually like kind of going into the nuance because what I feel is missing is is that nuance. Um, in, I, I love in- that idea. If yeah. you could make this you know if you could add an element of like let's have like pretty
2: serious political discussions if we want to, but let's uh, do them in a respectful way, which is just-
1: something that we don't get to hear a lot of, uh, in public. It'd be interesting. Yeah. I think people are kind of gravitating naturally towards it. Like podcasts are more popular now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, and I think there's, there's, there, again, there's so many dimensions to the tomorrow people and that's, that's why the elevator pitch just <laughs> doesn't exist yet because, you know, there's an element of like politics. Cause, um, and if you listen to David's podcast from last week, it politics, like it, there's a, it's a Greek word. And it really, I think just means like matter of the state. And I think it's something that uh, now is kind of a dirty word, but really just means like kind of figuring out like the problems that kind of we all share, um, you know, like really like examining really basic questions, like what is the point of government? What is the point of a society? Like what is, why do we live in societies? Um, it's, it seems really like basic and maybe not super practical, but I, I think that it's, it's worth starting there and then tying that into like where we are now, um, really go go down the rabbit hole and see see, see what we find. Yeah, dude. Bring
2: me back. We'll talk. Let's, let's talk about political history. That's like my, that's like my biggest interest outside of like, that's pretty much my biggest interest right now is political history. So if you ever want to talk history, political history, I'm a huge political history nerd.
1: We should definitely get David on and, and Kyle and kind of see where, where that goes. That'd be a, that'd be an interesting conversation. I think. What do you think, Pete?
0: Yeah. I mean, we plenty of, plenty of podcasts in the future. So, well, that's been basically an hour and eight minutes. So we kind of like say that the podcast is quote unquote over. But if uh, we can just keep recording, keep talking, if you'd like to stay on Kyle um, or, and Sergey. Um, I did have one little tidbit I wanted to throw in about the snake portion. I don't know if you've heard of this, Kyle. It's called the Four Pest Campaign. Um, It was done in China in 1958, and the goal was to eradicate uh, pests. So mosquitoes, rodents, uh, airborne fleas, and sparrows. So uh, they said, go kill all these things, (laughs) everyone in China. So um, they had like 3 million people all across the country killing all these uh, creatures. And it basically caused the Great Chinese Famine. Because without the sparrows and some of those insects, um, there were a ton of other insects that ate all the grains. And so uh, it led to 15 to 45 million people dying of starvation, which is pretty crazy.
2: Yeah, ecosystem. I I didn't know about that. That's crazy, man. That
1: was awesome. That's really interesting. Yeah, and that's the. I mean, that's again like going back to the like that's the top down saying like, hey, we should do this thing, and the ecosystem just being like, no, nope, like, I, like yep. you're gonna get hit in the face with reality, and like, what? Let's what get rid of happens?
0: right. Let, <laughs> let's get rid of pests. Sounds great. Who likes pests? Nobody. So. Well, I mean, I think out. it's
2: testament to what Sergey said, which is like it's really arrogant to think that we know what's best for everybody, just because like, you know, Mao obviously thought he knew what mm-hmm. was best. Oh, pests are bad. They're causing uh they're eating like the crops. So let's kill the pests. And you just like, you know, because you are so like he was so arrogant in, in his belief that he was right. That's what c- caused the problem.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's uh <laughs> there's a good quote in that for the 20 I think it was a 2014 Godzilla movie. It's like the arrogance of man is thinking nature is in his their control. And uh <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's i mean yeah i think there's i don't know yeah i think there's 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 a if i had to make like one prediction is there's a there's a humbling coming because of all the environmental stuff and uh just just thinking like jobs 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 and not thinking what kind of jobs and what what's our what's our relationship with the environment um but i've uh, we'll, been
2: saying this shit forever fuck dude we've been trying to fucking you know reform capitalism to actually like you know uh, not just be totally exploitative and have a one-year fucking horizon. I was reading this. I'm reading this amazing essay. I think Sergey, you would love it. Um, it's called uh, it's called Towards a a Liberatory Technology, <clears throat> and it's written by Murray Bookchin, who is like the father of modern American anarchism. And the book is called Post Scarcity Anarchism, and it's the it's basically a utopian, it's sort of like a practical utopian sort of like, how can we get to like a, a basically a, a society that has uh full, you know, we, we leverage technology to basically like have a uh, amount, you know, th- the right amount of resources to provide for everyone for their needs uh, while also preserving sort of the freedom and s- like without having like centralized state that has to plan everything. So it's this What's balance it? of like. It's called post-scarcity anarchism. And just to summarize what anarchism is, it's basically like liberate. It's like the it's a, it's basically libertarian socialism at its sort of like extreme. It's the idea that like we should have full equality and also full freedom from hierarchy. It's like my new favorite ideology, basically. <laughs> it's not not like full on anarchism, but like this kind of post-scarcity sort of optimistic technological. Uh, like utopian anarchism that's all about equality and uh uh what's the, what's uh what's the opposite of scarcity abundance, abundance. Yeah, yeah yeah um but there's, this is this, really good because it's
1: a very it's optimistic about technology which you don't get a lot of these days you you don't which is weird i but i mean maybe it's maybe it's always been that way with the luddite movements and stuff but uh some people but yeah i, mean, I I, I, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, but, uh, there's a book called abundance that, uh, you just made me think of, um, i would check that out too. Cause it's, it's all about like how you, there's uh, basically optimistic about macro trends that you see like, um, in, uh, you know, just poverty and, and sort of, uh, energy and, and a lot of things. So it's, it's and like basically a lot of like exponential technologies kind of taking off that, um, you know, makes people kind of like makes the author more hopeful. But, um, but I mean, I think that's that's partially the goal, right? You want, you want abundance, but as long as it's sort of sustainable, right? It can't be, Hey, we have all this, this great food and land that we're growing crops on. But if if you're depleting the land, depleting the soil, depleting like the water table, it's, it's not sustainable, right? It's not real abundance. It's really more just, uh,
2: yeah, uh, exactly.
1: Yeah. I I don't know what the word for that would be. It's just, um, it's exploitation. Yeah. Exploitation, I guess it's it's kind of almost like a you know it's it's like a, you know there's people who just they live like these lavish lifestyles, but it's so they're just running up debt. And I think that's maybe a factor of me moving to LA. It's like just this like eventually like there's going to be a reckoning because it's it's not sustainable, right? You're you're going you're not um, go to Dubai, you're not replenishing the well, right? Yeah, the problem is like the
2: people who are going to suffer are going to be the ones who are the most economically vulnerable. The guys who have been, you know, making money from oil for the last like 60 years while like, you know, just like destroying the ozone, those guys are going to be fine. They're going to be living in these like fortified compounds with like their servants and armed guards, you know, their pet tigers and shit while like, you know, the people in like coastal cities are going to be like hit, being hit by tsunamis and hurricane Katrina's like 10 times a year while the government does like nothing to help them, you know, that's sort of like the, that, sorry, that's like, you know, that's my like most dystopian vision of this like world that we're living in, which is like this hyper capitalist, like, uh, like basically it's like a hyper capitalist, like second gilded age, which is why I wanted to talk about Carnegie again. Cause I thought it was interesting that you brought him up. I mean, he's an interesting figure. I, I didn't know much about him. And in my head oh. I always lumped him together with like the other, you know, captains of industry.
0: No, he's Robin so parents. different. Because um, uh, so I basically decided I wanted to read autobiographies of the richest people in the world at any given point in time. Um, how much? Were his, just, like
2: how many hours per day were his uh, employees working, and how much were they getting paid?
0: Yeah, so really interesting about that. Like, uh, <laughs> so when he was starting out, it was like you know seven days a week. Like I think almost 18 hours a day or something like that. It was bad. Uh, basically all the time. And then too, when they would like strike for a wage increase, they would like bring in other people, <laughs> you know, just say, screw you guys. So it was yeah. like, you say it, it's, it's not as bad as it has been, but it was, it's, there's no, that was terrible. And then as he gets like wealthier, uh, some of those things start to come in. Uh, he's not quite as, as terrible. Um, <laughs> I've always hesitant but, yeah. to like,
2: you know, for me personally yeah. to like, look, look at the richest people on earth and be like, even like Bill Gates. I mean, you know, these guys are like the most famous philanthropists and on paper, they've done the most good, you know, of anybody. But at the same time, I mean, it comes at a, it comes at a cost and, it, and your power usually comes from other people relinquishing their power. Uh, or are you forcibly, you know, taking it from them? And so there's always like a, it's always a double-edged sword. I think Elon Musk is maybe the best example. And Be- Jeff Bezos is obviously another example of sort of the modern day robber barons who like, you know, on one hand, yeah. Like, you know, Elon Musk is making electric cars. That's exciting. You know, maybe it will help put a dent in climate change. But on the other hand, uh, you know, he's like forcing his employees to go to work during COVID. And he's like, you know, paying the minimum wage and like moving their jobs to like the cheapest possible place. And he's, he's just sent an email to his company last week that said like, we need to continue to cut costs because otherwise we're not going to like, well, meanwhile, he's like, you know, gained what, how much, how many fucking billions of dollars in the last year because of Tesla's stupid stock increase. Uh, Or Bezos is like the best example because he's just straight up hiring the same fucking anti-union firm, that Andrew Carnegie probably hired the Pinkertons, uh, and he's sending them in to spy on the employees who are trying to organize strikes at the Amazon warehouses. You know, because like some of them are working so long that they, you know, they can't even like go to the bathroom because they can't meet their they won't meet their quotas. Um. So you know, it's not as bad as it used to be, but history has a way of repeating itself, or at least rhyming. Do you think it's a pendulum do you No, I'm Oh, oh, yeah, actually, I mean, yeah, actually, that's a really good, interesting, I'm, my theory on history is, like, is very simple. It's, like, it's a balance of power. It's a, it's always going to be a balance of power, and it's always, like, you know, Marx. Marx's theory is that, like, the history, the world, you know, the history of the world is, like, class conflict. It's about the class that has power against the class that doesn't have power but has a lot more people. And at first, it was, like, feudalism, and it was, like, the peasants' uprising against feudalism to basically establish things like you know, liberalism, like the modern American, like what we have in America, right? This sort of like, uh, it's called like the bourgeoisie, you know, society where you have like, it's basically capitalism, right? Where you have like the class of people who, uh, who are like owning most of the stuff. And then the people who are working underneath them and most of the money, the people working underneath them create is given to the owners. Um, in the thirties and like, you know, after like sort of the buildup of this, like Gilded age of all these guys who built these massive companies, uh, and ended up causing, like, you know, leading up to the great depression, uh, there was like a reckoning and the pendulum started to swing back in the thirties because of the great depression, basically like people were fucking pissed that they were so poor while all these other guys had gotten super rich and people being poor and economically desperate, like, and, and also communism and socialism were like very popular around the world at that time. In fact, that's probably the most popular that they've ever been, especially in America. Like there was a swing back and suddenly FDR got elected four times in a row. And he was like the most progressive president that we've had like pretty much ever. Uh, Now we're at the sort of the beginning or sort of like, you know, maybe leading up to a second sort of Gilded Age. uh, And we're seeing like the rise of, you know, massive amounts of inequality and, and massive corporate consolidation, especially in tech. Um, there's, you know, major differences, like we're not work I'm not working, you know, 16 hour days <laughs> for, for minimum wage, but there are people who are contractors who are not getting health insurance and they're not getting, you know, they can't even afford like clothes and shit like that or rent, you know, rent is a crisis right now. And, um, sorry, well, what were you going to say? And it,
0: it's so interesting. It's so interesting to, I completely agree with everything you've said, but it's, it's, really interesting too because you're not working 16 hour days but i would argue that whatever systems you are involved in or work on right uh have like equate to thousands of hours of whatever it actually does um so i'm software engineer and what i work on you know is used hundreds of thousands of times a day
2: yeah, um, yeah, but I think that's the point I was getting at is is more of like the suffering. It's like, I'm not suffering for other people's wealth, but there are a lot of people who are suffering for other people's wealth. Um, you know, regardless of how much economic output in theory I'm creating, what really matters is like, how much shitty work am I doing? Like, like I, okay, like a, a pure capitalist would just be like, you know, everyone's value is how much uh, value they can, everyone's, it should be basically rewarded with an equivalent amount of reward to the amount of value that they produce as an individual. So like if you're like a disabled person, if you're a baby, you're worth nothing. If you're like someone like you or me who can like code, you're worth a lot because you can code and you could, you know, save a lot of time for other people. But like a pure socialist would say, no, uh people are not valued based on their economic their ability to produce economic value. They should be valued based on that they're just the fundamental fact that they're a member of society. They're they're a person. And so they would say, you know, it doesn't matter, like, um, if you are disabled or work, you know, you you can't produce anything because you're you're a baby or you're disabled or you are you're unskilled or whatever. Like, you should still be you should still enjoy like society's like the the output of society. And then there, you know, that leads to the like, that's the fundamental class conflict that's defined the last 200 years, basically.
0: (laughs) So. I'm going to take it one more step abstract uh you're familiar with the uh entropy uh yeah. thermodynamics systems equaling each other yeah um so we're basically displacements of entropy right we we can take energy and matter and shift it and like convert it to happen later right um do you think that as the pendulum swings, it will eventually get to a point of that like abundant anarchist type society, but to get to there, there is the pendulum must swing, you know? Like- yeah.
2: I mean, that's called revolutionary socialism. <laughs> Basically, The idea that there's going to be a, uh- you basically have to have a straight up revolution before you can achieve that. Uh, you, know, you, you basically, something has to break in
0: well, order to well, get would, there.
2: Is that but what you're I saying? Would
0: also, kind of, but I would also say that like the amount of productivity that you're able to generate is much higher than at any other point in history. And to get to that yeah. state of abundance for everyone, yes. the yeah, I see amount of productivity that everyone has to generate has to be much higher than what was previously done. Right. To yeah, get yeah. past that entropy. Right. So, yeah, like, I know that. that's really interesting. As much, as much food and power so everyone can meet have everything that they want. Right. So, everyone has to be super productive, or yeah. it has to be automated to a portion where, you know, that's it, it isn't, it doesn't take as much time or energy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to get to that point of, Robots and solar or nuclear whatever it is there has to be pain well, know, to like, to get there
2: let me like change, let me rephrase I think what you're saying like instead of saying is you know does there have to be robots and and solar to have pain um, or sorry in order to have robots et etc do we need to have pain I think what I would ask is in order to have full equality and abundance, do you need to have uh capitalism?
0: Like, no, no, I, I, that's not what I'm, uh, I think it's a fast way to get there. Um, cause you, right, you are right. going to have giant inequality and you will defeat entropy. You won't have a stable system where everything's the same and you'll have massive amounts of like ability to affect change in very, Hyper focused ways, right?
2: Are you talking about so, like me as an individual, or are you talking about like society in general?
0: So you're saying Elon Musk, you know Bezos, all these guys, but the reason they have accumulated the wealth that they have is because they're able to uh, affect such a large amount of change, and the dollars that they have previously been given create more economic uh, advantages overall, right? Like the ability that goods can get to your house from basically anywhere in, you know, two days, that's, that's like pretty amazing. You know, how you get there isn't great, but that does afford like greater personal, you know, it's, it's a struggle, right? Like, and I think, you know, wealth for these people who are billionaires, it, it's, it's, like they are leveraged up kind of a lot in debt at some points, but then it, it kind of switches and the way I've kind of been thinking about it, at least from what I've read and everything else is it's like, uh, they kind of can just, they get to make the bet or the decision on what should be done next with, with that, um, Power. we we had a podcast on a few things ago what is money and we thought money uh, a way to describe money is um how do, what do we do, what do we say about it sergey it was like uh abstract energy or something or abstracted or energy money, money being like a proxy i guess for yeah a proxy for energy yeah. right cause you can convert money into actual electricity or you can convert money into food, which is energy or whatever else it would be. So it's like an abstraction of power slash energy. And so they have lots of abstract, lots of potential power or energy that can be um, deployed right to whatever need there is. And they will continue to get more power and energy if they keep, uh, putting it in stuff that creates more so that entropy is also continued to be, you know, beaten and the you need to continue to do that so that everyone could have the abundance that they <laughs> that's, require. That's right. To
2: me. Like I, I get I kind of see what you're saying. I, I kind of get the like the buildup, but the, the conclusion is, is the part that you lose me at. Right. Like I get Jeff Bezos. He invented something cool. He took a couple risks personally,
0: but well, I'm not one, saying it's a
2: one guy, you know, spending his life, like inventing a couple cool things and taking a couple of risks. Doesn't mean that he should be making, if you've ever seen those charts that, that visualize. Oh, it's yeah, it's Absolutely. Right. right? But, like then you look like, yeah.
0: but then you look like a government, right. And so you elect someone, right. And so you can say, Oh, this dude that ran like a good campaign for a year gets to decide, you know, how, Uh, trillions of potential energy is deployed and used right like i think it's an issue either way but to to get kind of what i'm coming around to is to get that abundance you're going to need to subvert entropy as much as possible and to subvert entropy as much as possible you need to basically have lots of potential energy being used in the most efficient ways possible and It's a question of how do you get there?
2: Well, yeah, to get, you're basically saying to have impact, you need to have money and to get money, you basically have to build up a bunch of money. Like, I I guess I want to simplify it instead of using the metaphor. Mm -hmm. Let's like use the.
0: No, I mean, I'm not, I don't know if I'm saying exactly that, but like in that uh, utopian future where all needs are met. Right. Yeah. I would say entropy is defeated, right? Yeah, um, sure. For, for the most part, right? We've created a thermal right. or an energy Stability, imbalance. Yeah. Well, imbalance, I would say, right? Because if you didn't do anything, all the people in the world would probably die, you know, right? If we weren't harvesting energy to grow abundance of crops so everyone could, you know, eat in a sustainable way so that everything was great, right? Like if if you didn't have that imbalance in the way that things were working
2: you're saying like um, in space balance or in balance one word,
0: uh, uh, in like in balance one word. Um,
2: so out of balance.
0: Yeah. Out of balance. Um,
2: I guess I I, I don't understand how that's out of balance. That seems like a fully imbalanced society.
0: Well, like for there to be billions of people, you need a bunch of energy, to support those people and for them to have all the things that people want to have you need to have more energy to create all those things and to build up to getting that amount of energy slash power you need to concentrate it and deploy it thoughtfully and so that it continues to generate more and more power yeah so I, I guess I fundamentally disagree there. with
2: that like I don't think that you need to centralize and have like a you don't need to have, uh, you know, a few people or a few organizations or companies like basically centralize the energy in this metaphor to, uh, maximally optimize and make, you know, fully basically to fully tap into the potential. I do think that what you said earlier is true. Like there, there is sort of a value of, of capitalism. It's incredibly good at making things efficiently. I mean, that's, all it's good at i mean that's that's the thing that it's best at i mean it's really good at distributing things efficiently it's really good at Im- decreasing the cost of things efficiently and it's really good at developing technology efficiently too um but i think once we hit a certain critical point and you mentioned this earlier basically like once we hit a certain point where technology reached has reached a point where we can produce uh enough resources for everybody yeah true abundance um without anyone having to work basically without anyone having to work above like a you know like a bare minimum of like standard of quality of life um then in my opinion it's it's wrong for society to be organized in any way in which uh we're not basically uh enabling everyone to be above that quality of life and for them to have that abundance and right now we're not there. I mean, we have the technology. We like easily could produce enough food for everybody. We could distribute it around the world, and we could have a ton of interesting scientific research into how do we make things even easier and better so that people can keep pursuing like the things that are valuable to them. And this is what the, the essay I, I'm talking about is is totally about. Um, you, you you bring up a good question. Like for example, was this industrial revolution a necessary precursor to this point? Like was capitalism? a necessary precursor to get to where we are now? And I would say actually probably, yeah. And in fact, even Karl Marx, you know, the fucking communist manifesto guy, I mean, he said, look, before we get to socialism, we have to we have to enter c- capitalism. Like it's a necessary precursor. He was saying it more from a class conflict point of view. Like his, his theory was like Russia at the time that he was writing was still in a feudal mode of production. Like they still had mm-hmm. basically yep. a king- and uh, aristocracy and everyone was actually straight up slaves like they were serfs Marx said like yo russia can't just go straight socialist because they need to go through as capitalist but it was partially like the i I don't know if it was like the efficiency actually probably was largely he would say like look we need to like start cooking up like a lot of uh resources in these factories and we need to start like basically like increase our economic capability in Russia before they can do that. But I think the other side was like, he he thought that it wasn't practical to have a revolution unless you had a bunch of city workers who were in super shitty conditions who were like angry all the time because they were like 20 hours a day. Yeah. So that was his theory about, about revolution, but now we're in a totally different world. Right. I mean, Marx was wrong, not wrong, but he was like, (laughs) he didn't get to see that, that, you know, happen in most places. And now we have this, like, it's a new, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't, say that i'm like a marxist in that sense at all but i would say like um we've moved past it and that's why i really like this guy murray bookchin because he was writing he was writing and basically critiquing some of the traditional marxist stuff and he was writing in like the 60s and the 70s in america where we had seen this like soon you know maybe it was called the third industrial revolution like the the post like the post world war ii industrial revolution where we started to see abundance and people started to ask like yo we have enough resources for everybody. Why? Why? Are, why is there homelessness? Why is there hunger? Why are we so, still exploiting like third world countries when we don't need to be? How, why is society structured like that?
0: So, like, let's play this forward a little, right? So, I think one thing that could curb, um, the need for, right, one thing to create uh, abundance would be to subtract the amount of consumption required right and so (laughs) i mean this isn't exactly what i'm trying to say but i don't know how else to put it but if there's less people there's less consumption right and so like what if there is like a population gap globally you know on earth right like you know we like we just we figured it out we can do everything but we can't make there can't be more people than this you know unless we can become more efficient and right now everybody is so chill with what we're all doing right and we're already at such an efficiency like we unless there's something a totally different advancement like we we can't we can't support more people to have that abundance yeah no i mean
2: you're saying like in that ideal okay yes i mean that's a that's something that could happen but like there's a million things we could do before we need to resort to just eugenics or population caps or anything like that i mean there's a million ways we can restructure things to make things you know to distribute stuff more fairly before we need to say you know what we've tried everything else let's reduce the number of humans that can exist at one time like i mean yeah that like if we get to that point where we say look this is a this is our only option then sure we could talk about that but like Uh, I think we can, I I think there's people who say like, we actually produce already produce enough food for everybody on earth. It's not like we need to get to that point. It's like, we already do. It's just not distributed fairly because the, like this energy that you talked about, this money is not distributed according to people's, uh, you know, like their inherent sort of like existence. It's distributed based on their, uh, their, their, (laughs) you know, uh, contribution to the, uh, to the world economy. The flywheel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll chime yeah. in. Since yeah. Go ahead, Sergey. So it's been a minute. Um, you got the floor for like the next 10 minutes to make up for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: I mean, I, it's, it, it's interesting hearing you guys talk about, it. I mean, just taking a step back and looking at it kind of from a meta perspective, I think two people talking about this stuff, Both, I know, I know both of you to be highly intelligent, capable people who are also in a setting where it's it's collaborative like you're trying to get to a conclusion. I think it's still hard to just even communicate these ideas and be on the same page about what stuff means. I mean, one early question I had for you Kyle was like to what is what does equality mean to you? And I think it's it's worth exploring because I think it might have a even even slightly different meanings could be uh, like people having slightly different meanings like between each other could mean that, you know, the, the implications of if you if you seem like oh I I'm I'm for equality and someone else says I'm for equality and you build up this you know this house of cards or or that you're you're using that as a foundation but those two meanings of equality are different um, then it's that that could be a problem right because then you see like well how do we how do we each get to such different conclusions when we believe this same foundational thing well it it wasn't it was slightly different right. Um, you know, so yeah, I think to, these- to
2: quote a song I was listening to earlier today, yeah. some of us are more equal than others.
1: <laughs> right. Is a, what is it? Animal farm? I think that's originally yeah, something like
2: that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, well, I'll kick it back to you. We'll start, let's start there. I guess like talking about equality, right? When I've heard, I've heard, and just to kind of give you some more context of where I'm, my, I'm taking this is I've heard equality of outcome and equality of opportunity. Um, if you're not familiar, we can go into that, but right. uh, yeah, what do you, think I was going to mention that. It? Yeah,
2: I, I I don't know. I mean, I I in my head, um, one of the fundamental issues with the world, and I think it's the first step, is basically there's no uh, equality of opportunity. That's the first step. Equality of outcome is the second step. I think. Like, um, we should only start talking about equality of of outcome once we've provided everybody equality of opportunity. And we're so far away from that. I mean, you can be born in the city I grew up in Atlanta, right? You could be born like one mile from somebody and I could be born into a wealthy family that lives in a mansion whose dad, you know, is gonna leave me, you know, is gonna pay for my college fully. He's gonna leave me, uh, you know, millions of dollars uh, of inheritance or, you know, give me all these opportunities, connect me to all the right people in this economic system. And one mile away, somebody can be born, uh, you know, in the same government, same tax system, whatever, they can be born to somebody who gives them nothing and they're left, you know, they, they go to a shitty school that has like no opportunity and they have no access. And their only, you know, option is to like sell drugs or go to jail. Sure. You know, well, that's, that, know- that's the American story right now. Pretty much like there's th- that's America, honestly. I mean, there's a lot of countries that have done a lot better than us at that in the last like, you know, 50 years at basically creating a, or, or furthering a quality of opportunity. So if we okay, can cool. I'd say that's the first step, let's get a quality of opportunity. I mean, there's radical things you can do, but there's also really simple things like make sure that all schools have the same funding and have a a lot of funding or, I don't know, like provide a bare minimum of like, you know, everybody needs a, a roof over their head or free healthcare. Like these are the most basic things. If you want to get more radical, then you can start talking about ban inheritance, which I think is one of the most interesting. And like, I would say that's probably one of the most radical things that I would actually support. No inheritance like your your dad is rich so what i don't care you don't that doesn't make you deserve that money you're just born
1: i guess there's so many different rabbit holes to go down there i guess the mm-hmm. the quality of outcome piece though like something specific would it be does that mean like everyone should be making the same amount of money for whatever work you're doing or everyone should be doing the same i don't know i guess that's 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 the part i'm more skeptical of i mean i think the equality of opportunity pieces, it's really tough in, in, in some ways because, you know, just there's already unequal starting points. So, um, you know, obviously, yeah, I think there's, there's things you can do like very tangible, specific things like, like healthcare, healthcare is too expensive. Right. Um, and I think education could be a lot better. I think it could be, you know, you can increase access to things. And I think there's just certain technologies are already just naturally doing that. Like,
2: We've been trying to do that though. I mean, like we've been doing that, right. We've been trying to do all of those things for the last like 30, 40 years, like since the seventies, that's sort of the, the, that's sort of considered I think in American political history, like is like the seventies was like, or basically Reagan was like the turning point for when we started moving away from and, you know, reducing uh, inequality of opportunity towards increasing inequality of opportunity. Uh, and, and like you said, I mean, yeah, technology is supposed to be making this stuff more equal. We're supposed to be making it's supposed to be making healthcare cheaper. And it just hasn't. And the political system, even though it's a democracy, it's a pretty shitty democracy. Like it's it's very much controlled by the people who have money. And so I that's why I'm you know, I think me and a lot of people of our generation are kind of getting basically said, you know what, fuck this. Like the things you guys have been trying to do for like the last 40, 50 years just doesn't work. And it's, it's fucked up that like, you know, the, the last 10 years have been the best economic period basically in American history. And at the same time, you know, life expectancy of Americans is going down. Like what the fuck? So sorry, that, that's my, you know, that's my emotional. No, notes. no, it's.
1: I think I, and I, I share the same, I think feelings about it. It's, It's tough because, again, there's so many rabbit holes and specifics that the devil really is in the detail. I have a fun little story to add to that. uh, Sure. So, I guess Rome fell
0: because um, they gave themselves lead poisoning and it led to craziness. But before it fell, it was pretty wild and, um, you know, on top of things. But then it just had a crazy demise.
1: Maybe that's where we are. Right, just just kind of this cycle. I mean, yeah, there's there's maybe some cyclicality to it too. Like the, have you guys heard the quote of like you know hard times make strong men, strong men make good times, good times make weak men, and weak men make hard times.
2: <laughs>
1: it seems a little No, simpler.
2: I haven't heard that. Also, I thought I sorry I was away from the mic, but that was an f- interesting thing you said about lead poisoning in Rome. I, I've never heard that.
0: Yeah, they used it. Uh, it it can taste sweet. Um, they used it in their pipes. And
2: uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so. I think there's a there's a pretty like well documented history of why Rome fell like politically. And actually, I think you might have been closer to the to the nail than you might have even known, because like uh, this one guy I listened to who's a historian, uh, who's like an expert on Rome and also modern political revolutions he's been consistently pointing out the similarities between like the late Roman Republic and the current American political system, where you basically have this class of like you know, senators in Rome or currently the American political elite, which isn't just like the politicians, but also like all the people around them and all the companies that are donating to them who are just completely out of touch and continuing to ignore like the basic needs of the people. It's a different type to...
0: of poisoning. It's like a poisoning of the <laughs> mind.
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe it has to do with the the lead in the water, man. Who knows? Uh, the, right. sorry. And then Sergey, you said uh, that awesome quote. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hard times. The hard times. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe maybe we're in hard times right now, and it's, I mean, I like to think we're we're <laughs> we're not the weak men that caused it. And we're we're going to be the strong men forged by it. But I think our next
0: generation will be the i already think the what do you call it gen gen x who's who's younger than z Gen z i already think they're a little bit more fiery than us dude they're
2: hard dude i love i love that like i agree agree with the i agree that there's like these cycles and stuff i don't know if i think that quote might be a little bit like it's obviously a little bit simple like oversimplified um but it kind of it kind of rhymes with like how history works right i mean you have like a period of good of hard economic times and people have to make hard decisions and And there's, that's usually the time of the most reform and the most progress and the most like, uh, development. And then afterwards you might have a period of like economic prosperity. And what you have then is, is people getting, uh, corrupt and the leaders getting corrupt. And then you have, uh, you know, basically they forget how to like, what, why they're in power and what, what their job is. And then, so yeah, it kind of makes sense actually.
1: Yeah. there's almost something beautiful and like karmic about it when I heard it, it's, uh, you know, like causality sort of ripples through time, like you, you know, you create this prosperity, and then, you know, you forget, if you forget to teach the lessons, or if you, if you take it for granted, um, it, it can disappear. I think, you know, that's, that was my concern, early 20s, um, was just like, kind of that, I had this moment of realization how much I had been privileged just growing up like economically and the amount of travel and the education I've been able to have, but none of it was really earned by me right. and developing like an appreciation for that. Okay. Like knowing that now, like, what do I do with it? What, what can I do with it? What do I like? And then realizing that so much of it's like, really, what do I choose to do with it? Yeah, um, totally. You know, it's, 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 it's a certain amount of responsibility and it, and it's not, not something to take lightly. I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I hope I'm up for the challenge of it. But, uh, but again, you, I mean, it's, you kind of, you know, Dude, not, that's, you yeah, that's know,
2: exactly how I felt. I mean, I always felt like that, I guess. And it's, it's a really, yeah. I don't want to like over, you know, overly dramatize it, but it does feel like a, a responsibility. And the only thing I could think to do was like, you know, I want to make society better. I should learn about history, <laughs> learn about how it got the way it was. And then maybe figure out what to do now to make things better in the future. Yeah, uh, I'm a huge a, history proponent.
0: I have a concept for a utopia that I just, this conversation made me think of. Do you mind if I pitch it to you guys and you can poke holes in yeah, it? Yeah, for sure. Sure. Okay. So, the Getty Institute in LA is one of the largest uh, museums in the world. They have a giant endowment and. Because of this endowment, they spend a portion of whatever they gain through interest each year on acquiring art. Most museums uh, loan art to other museums. It like travels and then it goes back. But they're different. They just uh, they full-on buy art. So their collection continues to grow and grow each year. They're on track to have the largest collection in the world. So taking that same type of example and creating utopia out of it, let's say you take an area of land fixed number of people and basically you create a utopia, right? Like there's enough food, there's enough there you can create abundance for that group of people. Um, but you would just make sure that you would kind of never uh spend, you know, more than what would replenish. And you could you would also make sure that the consumption did not overtake what would be replenished, right? So it's a twofold you have a bad year. Uh, you can't, you know, do as much as you did before. You have uh, a good year, you know, you can do more, but you know, you got to keep both in check. So uh, poke the whole, you know, what do you guys think?
2: Uh, how does it relate? Is there anything outside of it or is it just that isolate? Sort of That's
0: the trick. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there would have to be something outside of it to get, <laughs> the abundance of it right like,
2: no no i mean not necessarily like if, if you had a, a small let's call it let's say i don't know a community or for short a commune that you wanted to set up <laughs> somewhere where right, you had a bunch of people who were producing you know, self-sufficient Peter,
0: the cult stuff <laughs> no no I, <laughs> I, I, Sergey, i'm getting him slowly he doesn't know he's it. about to explain <laughs> me the cult yeah <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I mean, one thing
2: is like, the funny thing is like, this is what, this is like what, uh, communism basically is, is like self-sufficient, um, groups of people organized in these little, like, uh, you know, I mean, this is what all communism is, but this is what a lot of like you know, utopian communists would, would say is like the, the kernel of a perfect society. And, you know, everyone within this society shares their shit with each other and there's no hierarchy or there shouldn't be a hierarchy. Um, yeah man. I mean, there's there's also been like a shit ton of experiments into like utopian communes everywhere. Especially in Have the you US. You heard about
0: the the rat experiment?
2: Which I thought Yeah. Rats <laughs> are like only used for experiments.
0: Oh, sorry. I'll be more specific. <laughs> the uh Rat Utopian Society experiment. No, tell me. All right, I'm going to be way off on a lot of these facts, so please check after, <laughs> but The gist of it is a researcher made a society where rats had an abundance of space and food and they had no predators, right? So they could do whatever they wanted. What ended up happening is they would just, the population like shot up. So there was a ton of food, but way less space. Um, So then all the rats kind of broke off into different fractions. There were like pretty rats that just like would like groom themselves all day there were rats that were like battle rats and like it it broke down the rat society broke down um so yeah i it's like if if it's a utopia would that happen
2: i don't know it sounds like it was straight out of like the guide like Uh, the 1950 like 1950 like guide for capitalist like business (laughs) How to how to justify your like your like exploitative system? It's like you yeah, know what if we um, gave you everything that you wanted, you guys would just eat each other alive. Uh, you don't deserve. You couldn't handle. Uh, you couldn't handle okay. economic prosperity. you pieces <clears throat> of shit. You little rats. You. Fucking, it's called. You fucking.
0: Uh, <laughs> It's called a behavioral sinkhole. It's a term invented by John. B. Calhoun, who described the class of behavior resulting from wait. overcrowding, huh? not, not, I don't need to wake you up early in the morning. Oh, okay, because great. I've got a different sofa. We're going to more Sorry about uh, that. that was my mom. That was, that was I'll oh, keep talking to Sergei. So uh, he conducted it on Norway rats between 1958 and 1962. Uh, rat utopias included spaces where they give an unlimited food and water and unfittered population growth. So, I'll try to find more about that. Yeah, life. I feel
2: like we're smarter than rats. You know, like I don't know. I hope I, so. I, I get the theory, but it's it's like, it's kind of a, you know, th- those that species of animal is probably not used to having abundance either. Like they're used to just you know eating whatever they can get a hold of, like a dog. Like a dog, if you give it enough food, it'll just eat itself to death. But a human, you know, we've developed. I mean, you know, we get fat, but we also realize, oh, you can work out to burn it off, or you know, we might like you know, build up, uh, resentment towards other rats, but we can actually talk to them and you know, other people we can communicate and resolve our differences that way. Um, like I get the theory, but it also really reminds me of this other experiment, um, that has been used for hundreds of years to justify why we shouldn't just give poor people money. Uh, which was like, I, I, I don't remember the name of it, but, um, uh, let me look it up. UBI England experiment. It was this report called, uh, I don't know, but this, uh, this speed Hamland report, basically like this aristocrat guy, like, uh, was interested to see if like giving the poor people money in his like English city would like solve poverty. And they gave them money, but like, they basically told the clergy to like report on what happened. And the clergy just like made up a bunch of bullshit and said like, Oh, the, the people were just lazy. They just, they just, all of them stopped working completely when you gave them like a tiny bit of money and so from then on like everybody who considered doing like a ubi program was like oh no we can't do it because the people will just be uh will just be lazy i mean look at what happened in that one town in england and like that one experiment i i I love i just think there's so much incentive to to put out experiments that justify shit that justify hierarchy and they justify exploitation because
0: it's profitable i love you know that's great i I think that's perfect it's like that it's we're better than rats like that's the like nobody yeah. <laughs> i never thought of it that way and of course i think we're better than rats you know um and yeah it it is yeah, I'm, I'm fundamentally
2: optimistic about people i think we all are that's probably something that i i hope unifies the tomorrow people right
1: i definitely have a lot of faith in people i think i think so much of it it's it's tough because, you know, we, I mean, just, just to kind of <laughs> end on the rat thing. I mean, I think just like there's there's a lot we don't understand just about each other and ourselves yet. And I'm excited to kind of see what what discoveries we make in the next, you know, 10, 20, 50 years, whatever. Because, you know, like, I think there's there's an element of, uh, you know, work and fulfillment that that people... Or maybe need or we evolve to have and sure you could create a system that that fulfills all our all our basic needs and it might be good and it might work and i think there's there's a lot of there's so much there's so much room to experiment and try things and i think i'm in an interesting things right like um i don't know if you guys have heard of maslow's hierarchy of needs right i mean i think that's an interesting starting point for saying okay what what kind of stuff can the society first focus on all right let's make sure everyone has food, shelter housing great okay can we provide that? How cheap is that? Oh, not too bad. Cool. Then the next level. And you, you sort of like, like h- yeah, how exactly. government, any system provides the top of the pyramid, which is transcendent meaning, right. Is, is very, that's a very different problem to solve than just making sure everyone's like fed and housed and clothed. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think the, and then again, like to, like to your point, Kyle, there's, there's, you know, an issue with science itself. It's not like, like the people who pay for the science there's there's agendas behind it it's people who have a story that they're trying to push and they're just looking for facts to back it up it's they have it backwards like really right. you should be looking at what the facts are and then trying to figure out what they mean rather than okay how do i have a i have a something i believe how do i find facts that back it up because and that's that's where we're at that's where that's what occupies most of the national kind of conversation it seems like um and like both like just on social media and in like traditional media. And it's just, it's just the complete wrong way to go about it. Uh, and that's, again, that's partially like what's the tomorrow people. It's it's a place to hopefully like not just, just avoid that initial pitfall. Because once you do that, then you have more of a, you've, you, you have more flexibility. You're not like confined to like, I have to, I have to prove this dogma, right? Like you're, you're wasting time and effort that could be used to actually solve the problems or, or come up with an actual answer that would, get you what you want rather than getting more and more entrenched and saying like, Oh, this is, this is this evidence to the contrary. Oh, that's a, that's a one-off. That's a, it it just causes me to get more and more entrenched. But it's kind of, so you say that,
0: right. And so say you sit back, you observe, uh, observe things and you, you see something that should be changed, right. You decide that that's the thing to do. And then you do it. You are in fact ceasing to observe and are now, creating something right that could be potentially bad um you're saying in the
1: organization itself
0: no no just just uh you said you have to wait you know get all the facts together once you have the facts then you can make a plan and and, you know do some sort of change but that change might affect more bad things that you then need to observe and make a new plan and then change again So it's always oh, good I to change. have the
2: simplest possible thing to fix. It's like <laughs> the simpler it is, the more likely you're going to be right on your, for your first time around. You don't have to constantly be like apologizing for, you know, killing off the sparrows in your country. Yes, uh, yeah.
1: Famines. Yeah, no, it's exactly. And I mean, I think we, it's tough because it's, you can't just set pause on society and say like, all right, let's, let's slowly like iterate up. You got to like, just kind of roll with the punches. Um, <laughs> it's also like easier. I mean,
2: it's easier to just like have a specific thing that you're an expert in. Like our, this organization is incredibly broad and doesn't have that focus yet. And if you wanted to like, you know, that's why I guess people are, you know, charities or whatever. will focus on like one specific thing and get good at that. Um, and I know this isn't a charity, but if you wanted to become an advocacy organization, for example, it's, you know, you it probably want to right? have one thing that you understand really well. like, Oh, say I want to like improve immigration. I'll understand a lot of the nuances of like, who are the players, uh, who's, who's, who's going to benefit, it, uh, to oppose us, uh, where are like the levers of opportunity and where's public opinion or whatever. And then you can make a, a decision that's very informed.
1: Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's, and I, I do want to start small with certain things. I mean, I use that Google, uh, the, the uh, the sort of like donation matching, um, I use that and uh, then donate on top of it and use, use the additional matching. So, and then I kind of, I tried to like just practice what I preach, which is like, okay, let me, let me, I don't, maybe I don't know what the best charities to give to. So let me like reach out to my network and sort of crowdsource, um, you know, solution just to kind of experiment and then maybe make some content around that and share that experience. I think it's um, I'm, I'm playing around with it and having fun. Um, but I, I agree. It start it starts small and um, kind of take it one step at a time. I guess one way I kind of envision this organization and I keep coming back to this quote. I know we, we talked about Elon and <laughs> Robert Barron's, but uh, I, I do like this quote by him, which is, um, you know, the, the machine is important, but the machine that makes the machine is is arguably more important. So if you have a charity that's that's designed to like kind of like uh, fix a certain problem or, or is directed at a certain, um, uh, you know, I guess cause this, I envision this organization almost as the thing that turns out like people. And it's like, this is, this, these are the systems. These are like the mental models that you need to have in in order to be able to operate kind of like flexibly in any given problem environment. Right. So like that, that thing of like not looking for evidence for something that it's just like not looking for just supporting evidence, look for evidence to the contrary. Right. So create a hypothesis and try to disprove yourself rather than trying to prove yourself right. Um, because it, it eliminates that confirmation bias. I think there's there's probably a set of those, and there was this Coursera course I wanted to take a while back about uh, model thinking. Uh, it's literally what it's called, and it talks about how like you can simulate certain systems and with really basic assumptions, then you get like these outcomes that look a lot like real world outcomes. So places where um, you know like you, you might see something that's like this looks like a certain problem, or it looks like uh, it might be caused by you know X Y Z factor it turns out it's actually a different cause and you can kind of simulate it and it goes through like these, you know, mental tools or, or sort of scientific tools you can use to, uh, check yourself. And that, that, again, going back to that, I think that's like, that's part of, part of the meta-ness of this kind com- of this organization. It's, it's the, the organization that can turn, that figures out like what, what makes an organization strong, what makes it successful, what makes it organized and optimal, because then once you have that, you can kind of direct it towards different things. You say, okay, I want to spin off an organization that's, its goal is to just like solve this one environmental problem. Cool. Well, here's the structure for that.
2: Yeah. This is something Trigga and I talked about last time is what is, I, I really still don't still don't really understand what is like the model organization that you guys are looking at. And it doesn't have to be one-to-one, but like. What I mean, what do you want this to be like? I mean, you mentioned Scientology as one. Uh, I mean, I know you're not trying to emulate, emulate that, but that was the only I think that's the only specific, you know, maybe like a super pack. I mean, Sergey and I were talking, the only thing I can think of that's sort of similar to like vaguely similar to like this sort of broad idea is uh the Freemasons. Yeah. That's the only Sounds one I can think of. It has like a political um, arm. It has like a, a sort of a charity arm, and it has a sort of like fratern fraternal kind of vibe. And sounds pretty cool. It's secret not, work. you know, it's like a community. It's not like super. I think it is secret, but it's not like a super secret society. It's more like
0: it kind of be the same with this. It's like we're not a secret, but you got to know about it. <laughs> Have you heard of yeah. the Avengers
1: Initiative? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I, I do think, um, I do think, like like the, the liquid democracy stuff I worked on, and I don't know if I told you how much about it, but I think some kind of digital voting system that allocates yeah. resources. So, and sort of like a crowdfunding platform type of way. And so if you if you had like a, a way of sort of like, let's create a proposal, this, will hum, this is how much it'll cost to tackle this specific problem. Like we want to we get a group together to go out and feed the homeless one weekend, right? It's going to cost hundred bucks, 400 bucks, whatever. And people can kind of like, Vote on what projects to fund. It's it's sort of like a mini mini government in a way. Um, that's that's sort of my like tangible concrete vision of something that like okay with enough people enough like I mean you could do this technically on you know just Google Docs or something like really simple and Venmo, um, but uh, you know you could you could create like dedicated software to that too and just have it and then open it up and like have more people be able to join a platform like that. Um, and then have a, have a system where like, okay, maybe there's so many projects. I can't, I can't decide. Let me proxy my vote and my voting power to, um, you know, Peter or Kyle or whoever, so that if they're on the platform and they think something is interesting, they can vote with yeah. know, two votes now. Um, that's something tangible I envisioned. And I think that could potentially work. I, I think if you set up a government that way and it sort of slowly iterated and kind of figured out the quirks and nuances and, and security aspect and all that and grew and grew and grew, That kind of organization could be better than any government we've ever seen before and it could be better at solving these these hunger problems and um you know like and suffering and and scarcity and it it also would surface like and the um you know the the problems that exist in society and actually make them visible and have have a way of saying like okay let's let's fund this let's let's focus on that um and it leverages like the the technological revolution, it's like deeply baked into it rather than trying to, you know, we have this old constitution written on, you know, w- written with a feather you know, hundreds of years ago yeah. and we we're trying to like understand what do they mean by like the second amendment? How do we apply that to AR 15? It's like, it's, you know, that that's kind of my, and, and again, there's, there's so many unanswered questions about that. It could go wrong or right in so many unexpected ways, but it's creative and I like it. And I think you could even do it on a very small scale. Um, so that's, that's tangibly kind of what I look at. Is that a startup or is it more like a government? Is it more like, uh, you know, religion and again, like you could, you could apply it to like, Hey, we want to throw a sick party. And there's like oh, 20 members. Right. And we all like pitch in and say, this is how much it's going to cost. Or we want to go to this Airbnb and someone organizes it. Like you could use the platform for that too. At first, like, um, cause like you said, fun and fraternity is part of it. So. Yeah. It's so interesting.
0: Cause like, That's such a big lofty goal. And I would love for this to be that at some point, but like my wildest goals would just be like a group of people locally that like all share similar things that I spend time with and we pursue like shared goals. Um, Like that's all it needs to be for me. Uh, And Yeah. And maybe at some point that you like acquire a physical space to like meet in. I don't know. or But like, I think it'd be super cool if there were kind of like chapters, you know, it's like, oh, go to San Francisco. I'll stop by the Tomorrow Person chapter there or, you know, facility or whatever. Um, Yeah, I don't know. So and I'm sure everyone has different like wants of what a community could be.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about like a community of people that has like the shared sort of like vision of making change in society, like I, I agree with you, Peter, like I've, I've, I'm I, i not religious really. And I never grew up with religion and finding a community is important to me. And the way I found that was like through political organizing for the most part, like I've, you know, uh, learned a lot about it and try to find things that I cared about that other people cared about. And I made really good friends with those people and I'm still, like, really, really close to a lot of those people today. And, you know, if if I moved to LA, and I started getting involved in like the local, uh, you know, organizing for Bernie, and then I met some people there. And then I got involved in the Democratic Socialists of America there. And now I know, like, I'm in some chapters and some group chats. And I've linked up, you know, my friends from the from my college groups with friends from high school who have the same, you know, kind of political views as me with friends from uh, LA. And now I have this, like, kind of cool network of people from all over the country that are interested in sort of the same and have a shared sort of understanding of like politics as I do. And I kind of get that political fulfillment. So I, I just, is, if you're interested in that, you can look, look there.
0: I am kind of interested in that. My question is it, is it fulfilling most of your needs, you know, like socially and stuff like part of the thing I really like about super religious people is they're just, like, so happy to hang out with each other, right? Because they're so, like, on the same page with all their principles. And it's like, I almost want a smaller, more intense group in their commonalities than a larger one, like, yeah, uh that they're still shared commonalities, but not as many, you know? Like I'd rather have a group of 16 people that I can spend every waking moment with than a group of like a hundred that, you know, I'd like to see every once in a
1: while. Yeah. It's like a, like a, in college, like a small discussion group versus a, you know, a big lecture hall or something. I can see that. Like the Visitero
0: house or like other places that I've lived like that. It's like a handful of people that I'm just like super happy to hang out with and do a bunch of stuff with.
1: I agree. I mean, I think, yeah, it's like, uh, again, I don't see these as being like mutually exclusive. I think it's, it's oh, totally uh, not. Yeah. You know, I think like, and again, there's not like a push on my end to like scale this yet. I don't think we even know what this is. Um, I like creating the podcast. I like running those meetings. I like seeing everyone there and having these kinds of conversations. Um, and I think this is like the best conversation I've had in like two weeks. Like I've, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed,
0: enjoyed talking with Kyle and just like, it's it's like such a different perspective. So knowledgeable. Like I've learned a lot. I'm, I just downloaded a book on anarchy. You know, <laughs> thanks, man. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I've learned, I've learned a lot about anarchy. Too. I got a PDF if anyone wants it. So yeah, it's free because <laughs> that's a cool. That's a cool
2: thing about if you ever want to read about anarchism. It's all the shit is free, Creative Commons, no license. Just
0: download that shit because they don't well, want to make bought it from Mr. Bezos for $37. <laughs> and then I typed in PDF. So, uh, you know, the Google people could get their ad money. There you go. And there you then go. I think I downloaded it free from a university. So
2: yeah, that book is great. I mean, it has, I mean, cause this, this guy is like, again, he's like an, more of an optimistic kind of like thinker. And he's, you know, a lot of Marxists are really like angry, uh, industrial style Marxists who believe that like the most important thing is like, being like like organizing like the industrial working class but this guy's like no nah, man we're like hippies in the 60s like america is a very different place than like russia in the 1890s or something and his whole thing is like, like power power one of the things well he he like criticizes the hippie movement and the, and the fact that like a lot of the political energy from that was completely deflated um but he, like you know he has a chapter in there about uh read the introduction. The introduction is fucking amazing. Um, And then he has this chapter on um, uh, what's it called? The the, like ecology and the environment, you know, and this is in the sixties and he's saying like, it's incredibly urgent that we do something in the next like 20 years about the environment. Otherwise like we're going to be, you know, completely fucked. And so reading that is incredibly depressing. I, I wouldn't recommend reading that chapter because you're like, God damn it. We didn't do anything. And it's been 60 years, <laughs> but the chapter that you can read that is really good is the technology one. Cause that's just I'm like, i to
0: read the whole book.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you want, it's well, I'd love to talk about it with somebody actually, cause I'm reading it by myself right now. And I, I'm really, I really like this guy, Murray Bookchin because yeah, you know book, what? Like
0: uh, America, this we have this, I need a new book.
2: Yeah. We have this like libertarian ideology in America that's like really cool. I think it's like this anti-authoritarian sort of like fundamental, like we don't like tyranny, and it can be you know it can it can manifest itself in bad ways or in in good ways. Uh, and I think that there's an interesting opportunity to have this kind of like experiments in this sort of libertarian socialist uh, thinking in in America, where it's about freedom, as opposed to like having Mao tell you to like kill all the birds in your neighborhood. Uh, it's, it's more about like, let's build this shit up from the ground up. It's like, it's like, can we work together with our neighbors to create these like small societies, like the one that you're describing where we share our, you know, economic goods with each other and we, we raise each other up and we perform mutual aid to inspire and and help each other. and, And like, we can build this like kind of vision for the future that we want using technology and using community, um, without having it be a top down thing. I just think that's so cool
1: sounds great i think there's a there's some power to that like like the again I, i've been, <laughs> I, I feel bad quoting elon but um he talks about how like after <laughs> I mean, this i'm not gonna lie he's going to the guillotine if, if he, you know once we take power i'm sorry <laughs> well also I, I think like talking about the rockets he's like the, the best system is kind of like no system and so like having um <laughs> yeah, having like, like in Right. Like, well, like if, like he's, well, I didn't know this about airplanes, but apparently the wings themselves, like the structure of the wing actually holds like the, the fuel. Um, but they, they yeah, yeah. So like they, like it's actually, um, they used to be like cargo that you would like load in, but the cart container then was like extra space essentially. So like they, they basically kind of like baked it into the structure of the, of the plane so that you could kind of reduce the weight. Um, use the space more efficiently and then it's on the wing where it's kind of like useless space anyways it would just be like That's empty so volume cool, huh? oh my God. It's is that cool, why that? in
0: the movies that the <laughs> liquid comes out of the wings uh, <laughs> probably I always just thought it was like a pipe that burst <laughs> but you're saying there's just like
1: <laughs> it's the fuel thing
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that seems so yeah. batty but it works I mean right like the, it's, we've been flying on planes our whole lives and nothing's happened <laughs> <laughs> Like it's a
0: bias but yeah but it's just like you think of a bird and most of their fat reserves are not in their wings <laughs> <you> know?
2: <laughs> i know it doesn't really tie into
1: nature at all it it's, a, it's a very it unnatural feels thing. bad it feels wrong <laughs> I mean, it's like it's it's <laughs> the he's talking about like for like starship he's like yeah we're gonna kind of bake it into the, the structure of the, sh- the ship itself like having the tanks there um, because like, if you have a really complicated system, it's, it's prone to failures. It's prone to bugs. You got to test edge cases and all that. It's, it's better to like, if, if you can not have anything there. So I, I agree with that almost like conservative sentiment of like deregulate, deregulate, regulate, but again, it's like, you gotta have, you can't just be like that simple. It's never that simple. Yeah. Like, it's never just some dogma of like, okay, well, how do, what do we do about the environment? What do we do about pollution? <laughs> what do we do about like, you know, externalities. Like there's it's a
0: it's you a of Just get rid of the sparrows. Just get rid of the sparrow, right?
1: it's Yeah.
0: It's a simple system. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's the order? Said, no sparrows. And no sparrows. Everything's great. No people. <laughs> it's the simplest.
2: God. Yeah, this has been a an awesome conversation. It's uh really nice to get into some like, you know, more uh serious topics. I uh, appreciated yeah. the uh, appreciated the invite to the podcast I don't know how much of this you're going to actually put in the in the end result
0: but everything we don't cut. For- <laughs> <laughs> there's no editing simple system I, I hit a button and it uploads how, how does the editing work on this software uh, each person's recorded individually and then you can run it through a mixing thing where it'll modulate the voices so everyone's input is the same volume level and then it makes it one uh, mp3 it's all on the yeah it's all done in like That's two clicks good. and then and then i pass it off to sergey and i think he found another app that automatically publishes it to different podcasts are you actually going to edit it though
1: or you're not going to edit it no no we just uh, publish no. is there a part you want to cut out <laughs> oh I'm, i mean this I'm whole happy
0: part at the end it. for
2: example is going to be included
0: yeah, yeah. So like when an hour seven, right, we said like that was m- the main part of the podcast. Oh. And so we're going to keep <laughs> talking. So like, oh, oh man, we, I don't know. Actually. I,
2: I thought that at an hour, you guys were going to cut it. So I thought that that was like the end of the official <laughs> podcast. Let me <laughs> think there's anything that I said that was. Okay. Uh, yeah, if you want us to edit that.
0: anything out. Let well, us I would know. say
2: feel free to publish it. Just don't put my full name. Just put Kyle. Yeah, we didn't say your name. So no, no, it should be yeah. good. Okay. That'll be great. Yeah, you can definitely do that because I don't think, I mean, if even if somebody runs this through a fucking transcription engine, they're not going to be able to like <laughs> Well, the six people that you know, <laughs> watch this
0: too. So awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. sweet.
1: Well, cool. thanks, guys. Great, guys. Yeah, but it for, thanks okay. for coming on Thanks for doing another, it. Like, absolutely. List,
0: but uh, I'll officially stop it. Yeah, happy to come on another a time. Pre think, post think. Cool. All right. Thanks for <laughs> listening. If you've been in for two hours and
1: 18 minutes, I uh, want you to... <laughs> you're, you're awesome. And we'll see you next time.